Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, uh, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. It's October, and you know what that means. The Canadian Hockey League underway this weekend, except for the OHL. We'll get to them. But the NCAA also gets going this weekend. But uh, continuing on through the rest of the CJHL, the USHL, and the NAHL, welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. Exciting weekend as uh, the WHL gets going tonight. So does the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, The OHL doesn't start until next Thursday, uh, but we do have... uh, that addressed this week on the show as well, but we'll uh, we'll touch on everything that's happening. Of course, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by our title sponsor, that is Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky in Alberta. Check out their website, it's wilhockbeefjerky.com. Wilhock, if you don't know, is spelled W-I-L-H-A-U-K. So it's not like the bird, but wilhockbeefjerky.com is where you go. If you're in Western Canada and you can't make the drive into one of their two locations, They're in Leduc and Spruce Grove, Alberta. You can still get in contact with either location, and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. Just get in touch with Trent or Trevor. Trent's in Leduc, and Trevor is in uh, Spruce Grove, and they'll take care of you. I wouldn't steer you wrong. It is the absolutely, easily the best beef jerky I have ever had. Let's get right to the question of the week, which I put up on Twitter, if you're not following me yet. I'd be surprised if you're not following me and you're listening to the show right now, but at TPS underscore Gee is where you can find me on Twitter. And the question of the week this week, I want to know who you think the three teams are that will join the St. John Sea Dogs at the 2022 Memorial Cup next June. So the who's the other team from the queue that will join St. John and the OHL champ and the WHL champ? Simple as that. It's not an easy question, but uh, easy instructions. And you fire that back to me on Twitter, and uh, I'll read those out. First response comes in from Kevin. He says it'll be uh, with St. John. It'll be the Quebec Rampart from the Q, the Kingston Frontenacs out of the OHL, and the Winnipeg Ice from the dub. The boys at the Wildcast podcast say, well, Adam says it's going to be Shawinigan. Jeremy says it'll be Quebec out of the Q. And they have uh, Kingston out of the OHL and the Edmonton Oil Kings from the dub uh jared obviously the homer pick here just uh didn't pick anybody except the rebels out of red deer 
Nick gave me a chuckle. He says it'll be Hull. Obviously a longtime fan of the Olympique. Uh, but he also selects Kingston and Winnipeg. So, so far pretty unanimous that it'll be the Kingston Frontenacs out of the OHL. And that'll lead nicely into the CHL news and the NCAA notes as we get into, I guess we should just call it the, the junior hockey news and the college notes. Uh, but the first top 10, the preseason top 10 for the CHL has been released by uh, the Canadian Hockey League. Which you can find at their website, chl.ca. And in order, 1 through 10, it goes uh, Edmonton Oil Kings, Quebec Rampart number 2, St. John 3, Kingston 4, the Barry Colts are 5, the Portland Winterhawks are 6, Acadie Bathurst, Teton, the Titan are 7, the Windsor Spitfires come in at number 8, Shawinigan at 9, and the Winnipeg Ice are ranked number 10. Uh, three honorable mentions go out, one to each league, the London Knights, the Charlottetown Islanders, and the Brandon Wheat Kings. Moving on, a couple of big trades in the WHL here this week. As uh, one, which started to hear rumors out of Saskatoon that the uh, the Blades were, well, they had been asked to trade Colton Dock, put it that way. Well, and that did happen as uh, Dock was traded to the Kelowna Rockets in exchange for Trevor Wong, who was uh, one of Kelowna's leading offensive players. So uh, Dock now in Kelowna and Wong in Saskatoon. A couple of other trades as well. The Kamloops Blazers picked up a defenseman, Marco Stasha, from the Vancouver Giants. And what's significant about that one is the Giants have no reason to trade him, except they have three imports on their roster with a question mark next to Fabian LaSalle. Does he come from the Boston Bruins, or do the Bruins put him in Providence? Well, if you're Vancouver, you don't make that trade unless you know he's coming. So that is big news for the Vancouver Giants. Fabian LaSalle expected to be with the Giants this season. Last I saw, he was still in Bruins camp, but maybe I missed that news. Anyway, game action in uh, the WHL tonight as the 2021-22 season gets underway for real now. And uh, there are seven games here on opening night, so 14 teams in action. Going from east to west, you've got the Brandon Wheat Kings hosting Winnipeg. That'll be a great opening night tilt. Red Deer is here in Edmonton. Calgary down to Lethbridge. The Prince Albert Raiders are hosting the Regina Pats. Moose Jaw welcomes Saskatoon to town. And the Medicine Hat Tigers cross the border into Saskatchewan to play the Swift Current Broncos. And the lone game south of the border, the Portland Winterhawks are in Kennewick, Washington to play the Tri-City Americans. It's opening night as well in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Every team in the league is playing tonight. Ramuski is in Quebec to play the Rempart. Roy Noranda is hosting uh, Sherbrooke. Drummondville on the road, starting in uh, Val d'Or against the Forer. Gatineau takes on the BB Armada. Bay Como is in Shikudumi uh, to play the Saganine. Victoriaville also uh, starting this season on the road. They are going up against the Shawinigan Cataract. So full slate of games. Oh, I missed the Maritime games. Uh, the St. John Sea Dogs are hosting Charlottetown. Cape Breton welcomes the Halifax Mooseheads. And uh, Moncton is on the road against Bathurst to, to play the Teton. But there you go. There's every team in the queue getting ready to begin this week. Now, the OHL doesn't start until next Thursday, so it's still preseason games in the Ontario Hockey League. I see the Kinks and Frontenacs uh, just unveiling brand new uniforms. They are literally black and gold now as they got the gold sparkles, kind of like the Vegas Golden Knights uh, and it revealed. Uh, when did they unveil those? Last season? But it's got me thinking they're very much like the Charlottetown Islander uh, colors now. Although I don't know if the Islanders have the sparkles. 
like the Frontenacs do, but uh, if those two teams ever met up, it would kind of look like an inner squad game, I would think. Moving on, the uh, in the AJHL, the showcase began on Thursday, on September 30th. There were four games. So Fort Mac beat Camrose, Drumheller over Grand Prairie, the Lloyd Bobcats beat the Calgary Canucks, and the Okotoks Oilers down the Spruce Grove Saints, which I believe was the first loss for the Saints. But the showcase uh, continues uh, today and Saturday and Sunday. Today's games, uh, Camrose is taking on Grand Prairie. Black Falls gets into the action. They're playing the Fort Mac Oil Barons. The Old Grizzlies hosting the Lloyd Bobcats. And the Spruce Grove Saints back in action. They're taking on Brooks. That would be the marquee game uh, probably here of the tournament. But games going through Saturday and Sunday as well. Uh, all those games down in Brooks this year. Uh, news from Hockey Canada that they've canceled three of their events that were scheduled for the fall. Uh, the largest or most impactful for this show would be the World Junior A Challenge. It was going to be in Cornwall, Ontario. That uh, canceled due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the other two tournaments, the 2021 National Women's U18 Championship and the 2021 Para Hockey Cup. So unfortunate for those of athletes again. And the, uh, the, the World Junior A Challenge, boy, it's been a while now since we've had one of those tournaments, and they were always one of the highlights uh, of the fall schedule. So unfortunately, that's not going to go. Uh, the USHL is, uh, well, they played a couple of regular season games already because of the, the big fall showcase out in Pittsburgh, but uh, all the teams back in their home soil now and playing in front of fans, so that's exciting for the USHL and a bunch of games scheduled for tonight, including Youngstown against the U.S. National Development Program. Uh, Des Moines welcomes Omaha. Lincoln is hosting the Tri-City Storm. Chicago goes to Madison, Wisconsin, and it is the first game for the Madison Madcaps in a long time at home. Remember, they sat out the entire season last year. Uh, Cedar Rapids as well couldn't play last year because their rink was damaged due to that storm. Uh, they are on the road against the, the Waterloo Blackhawks. Sioux Falls and Sioux City meet up as well. That actually is uh, on Saturday. And 12 games tonight in the North American Hockey League. You can watch all those games on the hockey TV, by the way. Am I going to read them all? Okay, I'll go through them really quickly. Uh, Jamestown is playing the Northeast Generals. The Maine Nordique welcome Danbury. The Maryland Black Bears is off to a good start. They're playing the New Jersey Titans. The Chippewa Steel welcome the Anchorage Wolverines. The Minnesota Magicians travel, and they are playing against the Springfield Junior Blues. The Amarillo Wranglers are in Wichita Falls. To play the Warriors, the Shreveport Mudbugs welcome the Odessa Jackalopes. The St. Cloud Norsemen playing Aberdeen. The Bismarck Bobcats welcome the Minot Minotauros. The Janesville Jets travel, and they are going to play the Minnesota Wilderness. And the North Iowa Bulls are at home to the Austin Bruins. So full, full slate of games here. Lots of action this weekend in the North American Hockey League. They're playing Friday and Saturday, and then they're off again for another full week. And when it comes to college hockey, you can definitely give the, the schedule, but I wanted to start with the top 10 from College Hockey News and compare it to the top 20 for USCHO because it is wildly different. The top 10 for College Hockey News has Minnesota, then Massachusetts, Minnesota Duluth, St. Cloud State, North Dakota, Michigan, Boston College, Minnesota State, Clarkson, and Denver at 10. That was the order, which is interesting when you compare it to the USC. HO rankings because CHN had Minnesota number one, USCHO has them number four. 
Massachusetts at two. USCHO has Massachusetts as the number one team. Minnesota Duluth, three on one list. They're sixth on the other. St. Cloud State, four on one list, two on the other. Michigan, six on one list, three on the other. So it's it's great disparage between the two. And I think it just points to the fact how hard it is to predict things this year after what we had as a, you know, an abbreviated tumultuous season uh, last year. Uh, but the USCHO top 20 goes like this. Massachusetts, number one, followed by St. Cloud, Michigan, Minnesota, Minnesota State at five. Then you have Minnesota Duluth, Boston College, North Dakota, Quinnipiac, Boston University at 10. Then uh, the back half 20 is Wisconsin, Providence, Denver, Bemidji State, Cornell, Harvard, Omaha, Notre Dame, Clarkson, and American International rounding out the top 20. And college hockey does get going this weekend as well. Not until Saturday, though. Some exhibition games, but here's the ones that actually count as non-conference games. Army is playing Providence. Connecticut welcomes Sacred Heart. St. Thomas, the Tommies in action. They are playing St. Cloud State. Miami goes to Ferris State. Nebraska-Omaha welcomes Lake Superior. Minnesota State will play Massachusetts. That should be a good opening weekend tilt. Northeastern against Bentley. The Riverhawks of Mass Lowell are in Arizona State to play the Sun Devils. RIT welcomes Colgate, and Alaska is scheduled to play Minnesota, but I'm seeing that that might actually be delayed uh, due to COVID protocols, so uh, check check that uh, if you can. Okay, we have a loaded show for you today as I have five guests coming up, so let's get to that. All my guests will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The tap room is open in Red Deer. The Oil Kings are playing in Red Deer tomorrow. Will I stop by? Hmm, it's possible. I am carpooling with Andrew Peart, so it might kind of be up to the driver. And I'm not sure that we want to have a beer or two before we hit the air, but you never know. Might make for an interesting broadcast. But the bottom line is here is if you uh, live in Alberta between Calgary and St. Albert, including Edmonton, Sherwood Park, and all the towns down Highway 2, and a, cl- and a couple just off the track as well, like Sylvan Lake and Pinoka, all of those towns, you can get free at home, right to your door, home delivery. When you order online, troubledmonk.com slash shop and you use promo code PIPELINE. Free delivery right to your door. You don't even have to put your uh, shoes on and jump in your car and go to the liquor store. This week, try a pesky pig. The pesky pig pale ale. Try that one. You can get it by itself or in the taster pack and let me know what you think. All right, here is the guest list and the order that we're going to go. We're going to start with the preview of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I recruited Willie Palov, who covers the Halifax Mooseheads. He'll be our tour guide for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. From there, a conversation with Harry Mahood, who is coaching for the Amarillo Wranglers out of the North American Hockey League. Mentioned that we're going to make sure that the NHL is getting more coverage here this season on the Pipeline Show. Well, that team is out of the gate like a bat out of hell. So we talked to Harry He's got a couple of uh, Latvians leading his team in scoring right now, getting a lot of attention from college schools already. Uh, but Harry's got a great background story as well. Played in the Western Hockey League for four different locations. Three of them don't have teams anymore, and the other location, that team doesn't exist. So really interesting uh, backstory from uh, from Harry. You're going to enjoy that conversation a lot. I know I did. Uh, from there, we uh, go to the Alberta Junior Hockey League's newest franchise. That is the Black Falls Bulldogs and the owner, president, GM, head coach. His name is Doug Quinn. 
talk to him about, well, taking it on the chin on opening night, 17 to nothing loss to the Brooks Bandits. But then they rattle off two consecutive wins in a 3-3 three and three weekend. So we'll hear his reaction to what happened on opening night and uh, just how what the process was like to get a team going and have to wait through a, a, a canceled season, basically. Um, so lots of information there. Then we'll preview the United States Hockey League. Uh, Jim Leitner, who covers the Dubuque Fighting Saints. You've heard him on the show in the past and has a great uh, setup for the the USHL. And we will end things with a conversation with Brad Cogemilio from Sioux Today, who covers the Sioux Greyhounds out of the Ontario Hockey League. Even though that team does that league doesn't start up until next week, we got you covered. But we kick it all off with the preview of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and that means Willie Palov is up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And Raymond stays with him, Lafreniere pokes it ahead, still has it, rolling puck, Lafreniere works it, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a lot of character, but tell us about it. The Pesky Pig Pale Ale. Named after the little piggy that never went to the market, this super approachable pale ale has all kinds of citrus flavors, including huge grapefruit note. Player comparable, Matthew Kachuk. Always in the mix, and no matter what, you'd rather him on your team. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. That's Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm doing okay for a 15-year-old with a wife and a baby. It's the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming, brought to you by our title sponsor. That is Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky with two locations in Alberta, Leduc and Spruce Grove. But if you're in Western Canada, you can just get in contact with either location. They will ship it to you any size, anywhere in Western Canada, any size order. Uh, and uh, enjoy that beef jerky. Uh, let's get out to uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. We're going all the way to Halifax, and uh, we're going to get set up for this coming season. Of course, that means Willie Palov, uh, the reporter from the Halifax Chronicle Herald, is back on the Pipeline Show. Willie, it seems like it's been a long time since I had a chance to speak with you. How are things? Things are good. Well, uh, hope to have a regular season. And when I say regular, I mean, quote, normal. So uh, fingers crossed for that, right? Yeah, no kidding. I, I know out here... Uh, it's still kind of limited a bit because the East and West Conference in the WHL aren't traveling and they won't be playing each other, so it's kind of split in half. And in fact, in in the Western Conference, we've got the border, so we've got five teams in BC and five teams in the States. Right now, they can't play against each other either because the border is closed. Is there anything like that in in, uh, in the queue right now? Because I know last year, the Maritime teams basically stuck together and, and the teams in Quebec uh, played against each other. Is it, is it back to normal right now? Yeah, that's the plan. First game's on Friday, and uh, unlike the dub, WHL and OHL, we don't have American teams in this league, so that, that's a huge obstacle that we don't have to deal with here. And you're right, last year uh, the teams in Quebec only played each other, uh, a lot of it in bubbles, actually, and yeah. then uh, the Maritime teams, there's six of them, they started out playing each other, but uh, that lasted maybe five or six weeks, and then uh, 
it got even more reduced. So for me, that meant watching Halifax play Cape Breton and Charlottetown uh, almost 20 times each. So it was, uh, it wasn't ideal, but it was hockey and uh, everybody was, you know, appreciative that they could do that much. So the way it looks right now, Quebec borders open, the, uh, the Maritimes are open and uh, like we're used to doing the last 18 months or so, everyone's fingers are crossed that uh, we don't go backwards here. Yeah, for sure. Knock on wood. I get, man, 20 times seeing the same team. I, I'm thinking even for the teams, it starts to feel like an inner squad game. Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot of, uh, there's a fair bit of bad blood by the end of it. Um, and of course, Charlottetown was one of the top teams in the league. So, uh, they they kind of had their way with Halifax and Cape Breton, and then yeah. uh, the games between Cape Breton and Halifax were toss ups. And uh, I don't know who made the schedule this year, but the Halifax is opening with back to back against Cape Breton. I can't imagine why they would do that, but uh, we'll get those out of the way and get onto some new teams. Thankfully. All right. Well, the big news obviously is that the St. John Sea Dogs have been uh, named the host city for the 2022. A Memorial Cup, and again, knock on wood, everything with an asterisk, but uh, should it go, it's going to be in St. John. It came down to either St. John or Quebec City, and I think you can make a pretty good argument for either location. Were you surprised at all with the decision? No, I wasn't really, no. St. John is due, right? Yeah. They, they came into the league uh, 05, I think. It's been a bit of a model franchise. I mean, they've won the, the league title three times, won the Memorial Cup. Um, they have a town i'd say seventy thousand plus a uh, nice rank around five thousand hotels everything lined up right but uh, other years in the quebec league rotation for bidding they, they didn't really have the roster uh except for maybe back in 2012 when it went to shawinigan mm-hmm. to celebrate their new rink um but now they do they, they've been building up towards this um they made some more moves in the summertime to uh get themselves uh, pretty solid top to bottom at all, all three positions. And uh, the other side, too, is Quebec will always be a great host. They've got an awesome rink, awesome city. Everybody knows that. But they've also hosted it twice in the last uh, 15 years. So um, to do it three times where, where another team is left out didn't seem fair. So uh, everybody feels like this is the right place to go. All right, you mentioned the roster, and uh, just looking at it, and again, man, you were telling me before we started that, you know, with limited travel and exposure to the rest of the league last year, you're catching up a little bit, and I feel that way about the WHL. So when I'm looking at these teams in the queue, man, you really got to help me out. So the guys (laughs) in St. John, I'm trying to see if this is a Memorial Cup contending team as it is. I can see they've got five drafted players, but what is the strength of this club? Yeah, well, I'm fortunate because at least, a lot of these players were with the team two years ago when we had almost a full regular season. So I do know at least most of these guys, uh, they're key players anyway. But, uh, you know, for people out West, Jeremy Poirier, uh, defenseman, he just got signed by the Flames. Mm-hmm. And William Villeneuve just got signed by the Leafs. So when I'm talking about strength, you, you come from the back out. They have uh, a, a really good top five on defense, uh, Christopher Innes is a little unknown to people. Uh, he's 20-year-old, and Charlie DeRoche, and then they've got another kid. So they're solid there. They brought in the goalie from Baldor from last year, who uh, the people who didn't keep track of the league ha- had a terrific season, finished second overall behind uh, Charlottetown. Um, so he's a uh, – Jocelyn Lemieux is his name. He, he's a five-year guy, so they're, they're set there, got pretty good backup, um, and they have good forwards. I wouldn't say they have superstars. Yeah. Um, 
they're still waiting on Ryan Francis to come back from the Flames camp. He's 20. He's a drafted player. He'll, I expect, be back, and he'll be their top guy. And then uh, after that, it's a, it's a lot of guys who uh, aren't really affiliated with NHL teams, with the exception of maybe Cam McDonald, who was drafted by Tampa last year. So, you know, you're looking at kids who uh, have a lot to gain. Brady Burns, Peter Reynolds wasn't drafted last year. He's a good yeah. player. Josh Lawrence has been through the draft a couple times. So uh, their top six is good. Um, pretty sure they will make another ad or two because that's how it goes. But uh, if they started today, they would be fine. They've got uh, good depth top to bottom and uh, a new coach, Gordy Dwyer, is back from uh, the KHL and uh, made a stop in Shawinigan, but been around the, the league for a while and, and other leagues. So uh, he brings it all together. That's the hope, right? Well, and you mentioned Peter Reynolds. I was actually surprised he wasn't drafted. I know he's tiny, but there's lots of skill there, isn't there? I think so, yeah. He uh, he had a commitment to play at Boston College up until last year. I think because of COVID, changed his mind. You know, uh, right. the Ivy League didn't play last year. Uh, barely any hockey across the state. I should say that. There was some college hockey. Um, and I think felt like coming here at least uh, seemed more – of a sure thing. Um, he had a pretty good first year, you know, average about a point per game, but it, it could be a product of maybe not getting seen a lot. The, it was hard to scout some of these teams. New Brunswick was on a shutdown off and on quite a bit last year. But yeah, I mean, uh, there was a time when he was projected first rounder. So it was a little bit surprising that he slipped. Uh, Willie Palov is my guest. He uh, is a beat writer covering the Quebec Major Student Hockey League for a long time, based in Halifax. Writes for the Halifax Chronicle Herald. Uh, we might as well go to the Mooseheads since they're right in your backyard. And to me, on paper, this seems like, you know, I'm comparing the rosters to that with St. John, and I recognize a lot more names with uh, with Halifax's team. I know this was kind of a, a, a middling team last year. Maybe that's stretching it a bit, but... Uh, this is a team that, at least on paper to me, looks like it could be a challenger. Well, what would work against them is is the amount of division games they have to play. We already know St. John's going to have a top team, tough for them to, tough for the Mooseheads to beat them. But Charlton and Bathurst are also pretty loaded up. So uh, that's going to that's gonna mean they'll be lucky to go 500 against those teams. and. Okay. You're right. They do have a good team on paper, but they're still a year away in their cycle, I'd say. Um, they do have uh, a few good veterans back. Uh, you know, Zachary LaRue, national first-round pick. Uh, Elliot Desnoyers, he's a good 19-year-old. Uh, Flyers prospect and a few other players. But the, the real foundation for them is they're 16, 17, and, and even their 18-year-olds. So the idea, I think, here is the, the – the improvement is what they're looking at this year. If they finish in the top half of the league, that, that would probably make them pretty ecstatic. But if they're in the middle somewhere and they're, they're losing as much, uh, or sorry, winning as much as they lose, maybe a little bit more, I, I'd say that's a success. So uh, but watch for them next year and beyond because uh, they've got quite a core coming together. All right. So do you think this could be a team maybe in Halifax that moves guys to some of those contending teams? It's possible. Um, what, uh, what general manager Cam Russell's done, which is smart, is he, he hasn't loaded his team with star 20-year-olds and not that many uh, star 19-year-olds. Right. So the 20-year-olds he has are character players, gritty guys, locker room guys, 
which may or may not attract a contender at the end. Sometimes that's the, the missing piece teams want, but uh, other times they're looking for a, a big impact other overagers. Um, you know, Dane Waye was, it, he'll play in the, at least the AHL next year. So yeah. there will definitely be suitors for him. Um, I expect he'll probably be the captain this year. Had a, had a really, really good season last year. Uh, super nice kid. And then, uh, Perhaps Santa Peters is a, is a 19 year old European undrafted, but um, there's no guarantees he's back as a 20 because these kids can sign anywhere, anytime. Right. So it's going to be a limit to, to the amount of uh, pieces they have that would be attractive to uh, a contender. And I, I'm sure the idea is to uh, keep as many of these core players together for, for their big run when that time comes. All right, Willie, then uh, who is the challenger for St. John? Uh, we know the, the Sea Dogs will be there in the end no matter what, but if they're not the uh, the champs in the queue or the favorites to be, who are? Well, you know, Quebec bid, bid, made their bid for the tournament too. They'll be a good team. Uh, of course, their roster was put together to, uh, you know, contend now, so they'll be there. Uh, Shawinigan's got a pretty good team, Maverick Bork and Xavier Bourgault. A yeah. uh, couple of first-round picks, they'll be they'll – be, two of the top players in the league. And then uh, down here, the other two teams I mentioned, um, Charlottetown uh, paid a pretty steep price to get Xavier Simino, who may not be a household name to a lot of people, drafted by the Canadians as a 19-year-old, but he'll come back as a, a fifth year 20-year-old and have a pretty good chance to win the scoring title. And, of course, Jim Halton does a great job uh, with his team play. And uh, the last team is Bathurst. Uh, their big trade in the summertime was to bring in Hendricks Lapierre, who, uh, of course, people know uh, was drafted first first round by the Capitals, and uh, uh, two years ago, I guess, and uh, is as good as any player in the league when he's healthy. He's had some concussion problems, but apparently he's better. And uh, they surrounded him with a lot of a lot of talent too. So it's uh, no guarantee that St. John's going to walk through the league. That's for sure. Those teams are all as good as them, if not better. So it's, it's a good five-team race, at least to start the year. You mentioned some of the guys that you think will be, you know, the go-to guys for their respective teams. Are there clear-cut, like, is there a bonafide, oh, this is this is the guy that's going to lead the league in scoring this year? You know, when it was back to, you know, some of the uh, Alexi Lafreniere-type players, is there a guy like that that you think stands above the crowd? I wouldn't say there is. Uh, you know, let's factor in for a second that, that some of these guys will play in World Juniors and miss 10 games or so. Yeah. Um, include Lapierre in that and Borgo, perhaps, uh, probably Bork, maybe Dane Waye. Um, but still, you know, Xavier Simino might be the guy to, to win it all because he'll have those 10 games. He's ineligible because he's 20 and, uh, he's already been one of the top scorers in the league before. So put him in Charlottetown with so good supporting cast and tons of power play time. And, uh, he's going to fill the net, right? So. It's not the kind of year where you're going to have a superstar like we saw with Lafreniere, um, a guy that gets national attention all the time, but there are good, solid second-tier star players right. around, and uh, all of them in their 18- and 19-year-old seasons with the odd 20-year-old, like I mentioned. So it's, uh, I think it's going to be a good year, and we're looking forward to it. I'm curious about the uh, uh, protocols around COVID this year. Out here we've got, you know, it uh, seems like, We've got four different provinces in two different states, and the regulations are slightly different in each one. Um, here in Alberta, 
It's mask mandates everywhere, but with the two rinks that are also owned by NHL uh, teams or the two franchises in the WHL that are NHL parents, you, you got to prove your vaccination before you get into the building if you want to buy tickets as a fan to, to come in. What's the situation in, in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and does it vary from province to province there? Yeah, it's the same way here. So um, all uh, we have four, four provinces here in our league too, right? So. Yep. They're all slightly different, but of course the one I know best is here in Nova Scotia and uh, it's all double vaccinated uh, vaccine passports or for lack of a better description, yeah. you got you to gotta prove it when you go to the rink. And our, uh, our general status here is they're going into what they're calling phase five of our, our COVID plan, which for lack of a better description is to go back to living with COVID as a normal part of our day-to-day lives. So what that means for hockey rinks is uh, masking and, and uh, distancing are going to be optional. They're going to be encouraged, of course, but compared to last year when uh, attendance in the Scotiabank Center where the Mooseheads play, which is uh, over 10,000, was limited to 1,500 to 2,000 people with specified uh, sections and washrooms and exits and entrances and strict rules. It's I guess as close to normal as we've been since this started, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know how it is out there. Our, our case count is inching up every week. So hopefully when phase five is supposed to start, which is October 5th, we'll uh, still be on track. But uh, as we all know, we, we can't, can't really rely on anything these days. And <laughs> the best we can do right now is just hope for the best, right? Yeah, that's true. I appreciate your time as always. It was a great setup for the uh, the regular season, and uh, things get going this weekend uh, for you guys too, Rick. Yeah, Friday and Saturday, uh, back to business. And uh, camp has been going since mid August, so I'm ready for it. <laughs> Me too, man. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks for doing this. Uh, don't don't stray too far away from your phone because I'm sure I'll call you a few times this year. Great, on my pleasure. Nice talking to you. There is uh, Willie Palov uh, from. Uh, Halifax, and uh, does a great job covering the uh, not just the Mooseheads, but the entire Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And always uh, like having him on the show because, well, you know, he's got a wealth of information. He's been covering the league for a really long time. It's just great to get his take on uh, what's happening out in the queue as we get set for the upcoming season. We're doing that with several leagues this week. And the next league we're going to touch on uh, is a south of the border. We haven't talked a lot about the North American Hockey League over the years, but it's something I really actually I want to change that this year. Uh, so we're going to uh, put the NAHL into semi-regular rotation here on the program, and the team that is out of the gate the best, they're as hot as Texas itself. It's the Amarillo Wranglers. Well, the general manager and head coach, he's from Canada. Let's get to know Harry Mahood and talk about his team next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. <laughs> Minnesota Duluth gets it again. Tynan goes out of there on a tripping call. Third power play of the game for the Bulldogs. Fontaine dropped it in the middle. Great pass. Conley scores! Mike Conley power play goal! Somebody shut the door! Ladies and gentlemen, from Calgary, Alberta, Mike Conley, University of Minnesota Duluth National Championships 2011, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Ah, you babes, all about your Madison shoes. We got a thing we call the Madison Blues. We do the Madison Blues. We do the Madison Blues. We do the Madison Blues. Play 
the Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, this one's great on ice. Why is that, bud? Troubled Monk Troubled Tea. This surprising beverage is low in sugar, zero carbonation, and has an unmistakable real tea taste. Alberta's first and only hard iced tea. Player comparable, Jack Eichel, silky smooth and super skilled, but a little softer and enjoyed by all. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. We're back on The Pipeline Show, brought to you, of course, by our title sponsor. That is Wilhock Beef Jerky. It is the best beef jerky in Alberta. And I would say it's probably the best beef jerky in Canada. If you haven't had a chance to try it, there's only two ways you can get it. you got to go to either Leduc or Spruce Grove, Alberta. That's their two uh, locations. But if you're in Western Canada, you can uh, contact either location any size order anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you. That's wilhawkbeefjerky.com. Um, we're heading to, uh, well, it's the first time we're going down to Amarillo, Texas to talk a little North American Hockey League. And uh, that club off to a hot start uh, to begin the uh, the NAHL season. And uh, pleased to be joined now by the head coach. Uh, that's Harry Mahood, who is uh, a Canadian himself. Uh, Harry, welcome back or welcome to the program. How are you? Yeah, great, and thanks for having us and thinking of us here in Amarillo. Greatly appreciate it. Well, I, I had to give you guys a call because uh, you're off to such a good start this year. Five and one out of the gate. You got the best winning percentage in the North American Hockey League. And uh, and when I looked you up, well, you got a great background story, so I, I wanted to talk about that too eventually. But let's start with the team. I'm sure it's the start you hoped for. Was it the start you expected? Yeah, of course not. I mean, it's it's such a difficult process, as everybody knows, building a junior hockey team where you rely heavily on recruiting. So it's uh, when you have worked, of course, in the Western League and the USHL. And those leagues, of course, are more draft-oriented leagues where you have those young kids being drafted and develop them and follow them along. In this situation, you're recruiting kids, and the uh, the challenge we had is that uh, the the team was and the license was acquired quite late in the spring, and then by the time they contacted me in late June, you know, I said to the guys, "Say, hey guys, like it's June 23rd. Like I'm not sure how we're putting all this together." Uh, so the it, it's been a, a remarkable experience, and I, I attribute a lot of it to the players. Uh, spirit because we're definitely a little bit like maybe the Vegas Golden Knights or the Seattle Kraken here you know we got a lot of kids who've had the door slammed in their face and so they've they've got a little something in their belly and I think that's really been a, a really big part of our early season success well and I'm looking at your roster and uh, you got kids from all over the United States and a bunch of Canadians as well you're you're right now you're being led by two Latvians maybe we'll start there and Kristap Skrastens and, and Glebs uh, Prohorenkovs, both o- coming over from uh, from Riga, Latvia. I think they were teammates last year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I'm guessing that was a package deal. You, you get them both over. How does that uh, fall into place for you? Yeah, of course, it's a uh, wonderful world of recruiting. And uh, one of the great advantages, uh, and w- before I got involved, I said, like we need somebody to help build the team. And we're really lucky where we had a, a guy by the name of Carlos Zernis. He's our director of player personnel. And he's quite a famous guy down here in the United States and throughout Europe in international hockey. 
He formerly coached in this league with the Shreveport Mud Mudbugs and won the league one year as head coach. And then he went on to coach at Alaska and Alabama Huntsville. And he's also been involved with the Latvian national team. So when we were putting the team together, initially it looked like we may not be able to get some of the kids from Europe to play because of the COVID restrictions and some of the uh, U.S. Uh, policy that was in place for right. foreign countries, given what's going on. But anyways, uh, the kids were able to get through and and clear some hurdles. And obviously, it was a big advantage to us and, and help us, you know, build out part of our roster. And the uh, the one young guy, uh, Pro Horenkos, uh, he is like a Jonathan Taves type kid. The kid is amazing. Like his first game here with us, exhibition game, three minutes into the game, He's in a fight of all things. I'm saying like, what the heck is going on? And then the next day he shows up and he's got a black cowboy hat. And I asked him where he got that. And he said, well, I went to the cowboy store. So it's been nothing short of, uh, you know, fantastic. You know, the kids uh, information uh, or excuse me, uh, you know, just their excitement and whatnot. And then of course, uh, Scraston uh, came out on fire and uh, all I've been doing is fielding calls from division one schools for the last two weeks after he came out of the gate firing yeah. on all cylinders. So, so obviously in hockey today, I think everybody would agree that, you know, it's so hard to score in hockey. And when you have these players like Christoph Scraston, I mean, obviously he's been a huge difference maker for us early in the season because we can get the kids to do a lot of different things, maybe systematically and whatnot, but having that, that player that could surely break a game open, man, that's, that's been just a real un, un, uh, you know, I wouldn't have predicted that we'd be able to have a player like that. And so we're really blessed to have both kids. They, on paper, they seem like they'd be uh, very different players. Chris Tapp's listed at 5'10", 180 pounds, and, and Glebs is 6'2", and 187 pounds. Do they play a, a much different style? Yeah, the you would you would really think the uh, Pro Horenkos kid is a North American player, uh, or like where you're from, a Northern Alberta kid plays really heavy, really strong. And I, uh, uh, you know, as a young player, when he was very young, I got to know Jonathan Taves. He played with my daughter and and whatnot. But the uh, I remember, you know, it's watching Jonathan come through the system, and of course, you know, now into the NHL and all his international experience. It's just I, I can't remember seeing a player play with that type of tenacity since maybe uh the other guy that was close is like connor dewar who we had in everett there like mm -hmm. just a relentless player so i'm thinking to myself you know when we talk about it in our coaching staff like these these kids the way they're being trained you know internationally now they're it's not the same as it used to be so those guys have done an outstanding job developing those kids and and for sure Gleb's pro Horankov's completely different player than Kristaps. He's he's for sure the old natural goal scorer and uh, playmaker guy. Well, both of these guys are 19. They they uh, both of them again turn 20 in uh, this coming November. When you're pitching the idea of them coming to the NAHL, is it you know a, a, to get exposure for whether it's pro teams uh, on this side of the pond or to get NCAA opportunities? I mean, are are both of these guys interested in going the college route? Yes, uh, most certainly. And that's why they're here. Um, and what's very interesting is I think it's it, it, what I appreciate about our, our call today is that, you know, I know a lot of the Canadian kids, for example, don't know a lot about the U.S. system, yep. you know, and how it all works. When I was coaching in Everett, you know, I would talk to the kids about the USHL that I coached in or the North American League. And they, they really were 
you know, they enjoyed the stories, but they weren't really connected to it at yeah. all, you know, type of thing. And it's very similar to these two young guys. You know, they've never been on a campus before. They don't know what SATs and ACTs and admissions and doing official visits. So it's all very, very new. It's like Christmas morning for those two guys. And so we're helping them navigate that water. The, they're both getting a tremendous amount of attention from schools right now and a lot of big schools. And We've had, you know, we had a really big school in here for our opening weekend. And I'm sure in the history of the North American League, like to have a, a big time school at a rink, you know, in September in Texas is probably unprecedented. So that's the type of attention these young guys have brought to our team. Well, you've this is your, I think, your second stint in the uh, North American Hockey League. You mentioned the WHL and the USHL that you coached in also. Um, but before those two stops, you were in the North American Hockey League. How much has the league changed since your first go around uh, when you were in Topeka back in the what around 2010 area? Yeah, you know it's it's really interesting. Firstly, I think uh, in a growth perspective, I think there was only like 16 or 17 teams then, and there's 29 teams, so yeah. that you know is really really interesting. And then. For sure, there were kids going to school out of the league back then and doing really well, uh, but not to the volume that's occurring now. And one of the things I think that's really changed from my perspective is there are a lot of kids, especially the, you know, the, the kids playing in the U.S. system, they, they at times had a difficulty bringing themselves to play in the North American Hockey League like they like they like they would rather go to Canada or the BC League or something like that. Well, that's really changed. I don't think we're all the way there in the U.S. hockey system where maybe if a kid comes up short in the USHL, you know, he he you know probably is a lot of interest still for kids to go to the BC League. But that has really changed. I think we're maybe 80% of the way there where kids go. This is a great place to be. So I credit that to all the, of course, the owners and the operations. And, uh, you know, we're just at that showcase and I hadn't been there in six or seven years in Blaine, Minnesota. Right. And that it, they, they promoted as the greatest hockey show on earth. And it truly is. Those people are experts at what they're doing. And, you know, where you've got every school in the United States, whether it's ACHA, division three, division one, head coaches, assistant coaches, and then every NHL teams there. So it's, it's really remarkable what they've built. And then what they have underneath that is a whole brush fire of U16, U18 hockey extending to U14. So they've, they've really built an incredible uh, platform to promote and develop players. And I think that, you know, the world is slowly waking up to that right now. Harry Mahut is the uh, GM and head coach of the uh, Amarillo Wranglers in the North American Hockey League, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, tell me a little bit about the travel uh, for you in the NAHL as a team. Uh, I'm guessing you're busting a lot to uh, the the other clubs that are in uh, in the same state. But do you play? You know, the, like there's there are teams all over uh, the United States in this league. I can't imagine you're going up to uh, you know Maine or Minnesota or Alaska all that often. Yeah, no, that that doesn't happen. At times, there are teams that'll agree to say do the Alaska trip or things like that once in a while, but for for the most part, you play your, your four games at the showcase against uh, out-of-division opponents, and right. then you play the remainder of your 56 games uh, within your division primarily. And so we have uh, eight, eight teams in the Hockey South, and uh, I'm not sure uh, everybody would be familiar, but the Hockey South division of the North American League has quite a reputation in terms of uh, historically and, and also for the type of play that goes on down here. All the teams you know, in this division, you know, they have the former uh, kind of, 
minor pro atmosphere and pro ranks and it's a little bit of a push and uh, shove league uh, down here and the fans are quite passionate etc so it's a real fun brand of hockey to be involved in in the south and the kids really thrive on it and the fans are really good um, I think I saw the other night in Corpus Christi they had 8,000 fans there against wow. the Fort Worth the Lone Star team so you know it's the type of thing that's uh, that's been going on in the south so each weekend is you know, it, it really is. Uh, it, it's packed with a lot of great hockey and a lot of physicality. And, you know, there's still uh, the occasional fight in this division, et cetera. So it's, uh, it, it really is a great brand and a lot of fun to be part of here. All right. So if you've played your four games in the showcase against the, uh, the, the non-division rivals, uh, then you got a lot of games still to go in your own division. When you look at the other teams, and maybe you're still getting to know them, where do you see yourselves uh, this year? Like, where do you set the bar for success for the uh, for the Wranglers this season? Yeah, I I think that my you know, to be honest, I mean, when when they uh, reached out to me about coaching, and these are some friends that are the ownership group here that I've gotten to know from my first stint of coaching in Amarillo, we become very good friends. And my biggest concern, Guy, was that you know when you do these expansion type teams i mean it can be dreadfully painful in junior hockey where like like that whole first year is just like you're taking your lumps every way imaginable and i my concern was that there's a, a tremendous investment here in the team and financially everything else and the last thing our ownership group needed was to you know go through that as far as i was concerned and i felt doubly responsible because they're friends and uh but we work really hard at trying to ice a competitive team. So that's where I would, I would put us right now is that we're, we're a group that we can, we can play every night and we can hang in there with teams and then find ways to win games. Like all teams do, whether it's special teams or scoring timely goals, et cetera. You know, I think we can, we can win some games, but there's some really great programs in this division and they have big budgets and they're aggressive and they have full-time coaching staffs you know two three guys that do nothing but watch video and train their players so you know every every weekend is is a great challenge so I'm just really happy that more than anything we can hold our own and we can keep our head above water a little bit and I guess we'll see how it goes uh, because obviously sometimes your record in these leagues can reflect strength of schedule Mm -hmm. and I'm not so sure uh, what how where every opponent is at at that type of thing so I think we'll have once we do a loop obviously through the division we'll maybe have a better sense of where we truly stand but you know every day in this league for sure it's it's kind of a new day because there's all sorts of things that go on but uh but more importantly i'm really happy like the when i was coaching here uh, initially and we won the national championship here when i was working with dennis williams and rocky russo in 2013 this community was rocking with hockey and the fans were three four thousand a night and you know it was a big deal in amarillo and that, that dissipated for one reason or another after we left. But that whole thing is coming back. And I'm really encouraged by that for the hockey community. And uh, they went ahead, you know, and built a, a practice sheet during the pandemic. And to me, that's kind of revolutionized this marketplace because we would get displaced here a lot where you'd have to go on the road to practice and things like that. So, you know, in Canada, of course, we take these rinks for granted, you know, being around our home all the time. But you know, in these marketplaces, you have the main civic center where we play. And then, you you know, if the rodeo comes in, you're out of the ring, you know. So I think that 
that is really something that's substantial. Plus, they've really grown and developed uh, the youth hockey here. So it, it's really on the upswing again. And I, I, to me, that's very exciting for them. And it's kind of fun because the ownership group is some former Canadians. And they're former guys that played in the pro market here in Amarillo, uh, married some local girls, raising their family, and have built it all out. So it's a little bit like the European model where you have the youth organization, you have the junior team, and oh, yeah. you know everything in between. So the, the continuity is really, you know, I think really can help it make successful here. Well, that's really interesting. It seems to be working out. Uh, Harry Mahood is the, my guest. He's the uh, general manager and head coach of the Amarillo Wranglers in the North American Hockey League. Um, I, I told you before we started, I wanted to ask you kind of your path on, on how you got to uh, where you are now. Uh, and when I was looking you up, I was amazed. I'm totally invested in, in hearing some stories. This is Okay, first off, Matlock, uh, Manitoba. Had never heard of it before. Yeah. Looks like it's a beautiful place, though. It's, you know, a small community, but right on the on the water of Lake Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, I just was like every other Canadian guy, probably around that era, where you leave home at fifteen, and as <laughs> I, you know, I I told my mom I could always come home, and but haven't been home since. Type of thing. You know, it's been. Uh, a little bit nomadic, uh, for sure. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, it, it makes for some good storytelling, uh, for as myself as a coach. And for sure, when I was back coaching in the Western Hockey League there, the guys loved my, uh, old Wayne Van Dorp stories and things like that from back <laughs> in the day. And, uh, you know, so it's been, it's, it really came full circle there, but you know, it's, uh, as I tried to promote to our kids that, I would say the idea is when you're playing today or you're going on the journey, you really have to love what you're doing, you know, and it, because there's so much that goes into it. And uh, I was telling them, like, I, I swore that when I played in the Western Hockey League, I'd never go back to Prince Albert and Saskatoon and Regina and Brandon and walk into the back end of the cows and the pigs and the chickens and the cold locker room. I swear I'd never do that all again, you know, Yeah. but uh, yeah, you know, but then working in Everett in our first, uh, we did the Eastern road trip from Everett right to Brandon, you know, 30 hours on the bus right mm -hmm. back into agricultural world. You know, it was really, you know, what you say, what I told the kids was, you know, like this is what's required to be successful. And probably the best thing maybe you could say about a lot of people and maybe myself is that, you know, I've oriented my life uh, around the game for sure. And I've had the great support of my wife, Sarah, and our family and everything else. And it's just been a world of relationships like we all have. And uh, I was I was not really thinking about coaching anymore. And when they put the team together, they reached out to me and said, hey, we'd like you to coach. And I was like, guys, like I'm retired, sort of, you know, like I can't think of a worse idea, uh, you know, to start a team. But as it all goes, you know, I guess as my wife always reminds me, no one ever leaves hockey. And she's probably right about that. I got to ask you what the uh, the playing days for you in the Western Hockey League. Uh, you played a couple years in the BCHL first, but. Then you end up in, in Great Falls in Montana uh, playing for the Americans, which had the, the previous season been the Edmonton Oil Kings and before that the Flin Flon Bombers, uh, which is a pretty storied franchise uh, for the league. But you hooked up with them in, in uh, Montana. They lasted one year. You moved to Spokane and become the Spokane Flyers. You play a year and a half there, and the team folds, and then uh, you're off. Uh, you're moving again, uh, ending up with the Billings Bighorns, who then at the end of that season, moved to Nanaimo. So you're, you're crisscrossing all over the Western Hockey League. They're all in the States until you get out to the island. But 
that's got to be an adventure, all that travel. Well, when I was coaching in Everett, we'd go into Tri-City, and they had all these uh, things on the uh, walls underneath by the locker rooms, about former 100-point scores and everything. And I was always lobbying to say, hey, this is the former Nanaimo Islander franchise, and we should have Mark Lamb on there yeah. and, and Rocky Troche and Harry Mahood and everybody else on there having some fun with it. Yeah, I mean, when I was in the league, unfortunately, it was an unstable time during the Western Hockey League uh, process. Mm-hmm. And there were all sorts of owners that were obviously found out very quickly how expensive the league is. Uh, to operate. And uh, I, I certainly got caught in all that type of thing uh, as a player. Uh, but I, uh, I also was uh, very indebted to some people like, say, for example, Les Jackson, who was my coach in the BC League. He was my coach uh, in Great Falls. He made a trade to get me uh, out of Portland. Uh, so I was really indebted to those people. And then I was really indebted to so many of those players that we all play with. You know, I think sometimes the coaching at times wasn't always the best. There were different people, et cetera. But one thing I could always count on looking back was all these great players I played with. And, uh, you know, I my game shot up the uh, the ladder there when I played on a line in Billings with Rocky Troche and Mark Lamb. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was probably the first time in my when I was a young player just realizing, wow, like how nice it is to play with these great young players. So I look back, uh, there are some times uh, in that league where I go, oh my God, this is, you know, not a lot of fun. And <laughs> and uh, I try to, I try to impress it like kids, you know, as they're trying to say, grow their fortitude in junior hockey and play a little more, with more grit or physicality. I said, I get it, man. We used to go into Portland and there was Gary Nyland and Brian Kern and John Cordick and Cam Neely and, <laughs> Randy Turnbull and like those guys, you know, were looking for a dance every shift. I go, it was not a lot of fun. And then of course you go to Seattle and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you'd have these great, they're great players and they were super tough guys like uh, Wayne Van Dorp and Tim Hunter and, you know, all these other guys. So it was those uh, stories for sure live on uh, in our memories in terms of what all that was about. But I, I do remember how many great players uh, and it was really fun for me to coach in Everett. Uh, I coached Ron Sutter's son, Riley Sutter. And uh, I just love telling him stories about his uncles and, and his dad that I played against in the Western Hockey League. And for me, my favorite all-time player I played against in the Western Hockey League was Brent Sutter. He was just an incredible player. Mm. And I marveled at him. And I remember we, we actually, when I was in Billings, uh, they thumped us on Boxing Day. And the next day, he got called up to the New York Islanders and won the Stanley Cup that year. So wow. I just... There's just so many of those fond memories, you know, of, of those people and, and being around all those people. So it has really enriched my life and uh, has, has been really, you know, given me everything I have in my life for sure. Uh, I have to note that, uh, okay, so you played in, in with the Great Falls Americans and, and the Spokane Flyers and that, that franchise folded. Billings then moved to Nanaimo and now is in Tri-City. So they're still around, but none of those uh, locations uh, have a team anymore, although the Spokane Chiefs obviously uh, in the WHL, yeah. but it, when you're coaching, you go to Bloomington as well. That franchise doesn't exist anymore. There's uh, what's what's happening here. All these teams and the franchises you were associated with aren't uh, aren't around. Yeah, well, I care to look at it the other way. Like <laughs> you know, I, I I look at it that man. Like talk about a 
a growth of character and adversity. And uh, maybe that's part of my charm as a coach. I'm not sure where I say like, look, like you couldn't dispute that, you know, if you're trying to be a hockey player, like there's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult and you go through a lot of different things. And maybe that's, maybe that could be a little bit uh, of my background that shows like, you just got to keep moving through it. You know, you can't, it never occurred to me as a player, Oh, I'm going to quit. You know, like even when somebody slammed the door in my face, I, it never occurred to me that I wasn't going to play hockey anymore. But so I think for for all these young guys today, I give them a, a, a sort of a survival slogan, which is I love it. Oh, I you know, I love those 30 hour bus rides from Everett to uh, Brandon. Oh, I, I just love that when my equipment's frozen and, you know, we, we ate Kentucky fried chicken and, you know, all that stuff. Like, it's just, you just have to learn all that stuff. And I remember when I was, when I was coaching in Everett and I was talking with Mark Lamb there, who's with Prince George, obviously. And he said, you know, Hoodie, he said like the kids just have to learn how to harden themselves. And if you can learn how to harden yourself mentally, boy, you can have a great career in hockey. And that's, that's pretty much, probably my lasting uh, impression of going through all those hard times and whatnot that I went through. Harry, do you think uh, Montana should have, uh, whether it's WHL or, or North, North American Hockey League again, I think there was a, an NAHL team in Billings for a little while, but it seems like uh, at least in, in Billings, there is a facility. It's like a 12,000 seat uh, arena there, isn't there? Yes, for sure. I, I believe that. And, and even when we were there with in Billings, uh, you know, they, they were doing very well, but I, I, I think for sure what it takes is, you know, I've also played on teams where the owner flies in on the jet yeah. and sometimes he's a, a really great guy, like say Mr. Ewell, who uh, lives in Madison hat there and owned, you know, so he owned Amarillo, he owned the team in Bloomington and he owns the Everett Silvertips. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of myself and Dennis Williams, after we started working together, you know, we got to, to move forward. So when you have that type of ownership, you know, all things are possible. The type of support those people, you know, give you and the resources they allocate to things. However, you know, there are other situations where the, the owner is not quite as generous as, say, Mr. Yule or whatnot. And, you know, the, maybe he flies in on the jet and he yells at everybody and then he leaves. And that doesn't work so well. I think when you have this community ownership, say, like that's in Corpus or, excuse me, in, in Amarillo and Corpus has that as well. But you have these, you know, you have that continuity and now they have this practice facility and they have the youth organization. That to me are the things that can really uh, drive an organization. And for sure, uh, marketplaces like Billings have all those ingredients. You just need somebody that wants to take on the passion project and make it their life. And I'm sure that'll happen. The, The league, the league is continuing to expand in the North American Hockey League, as we discussed and I, I agree with you. I, I would love to see teams uh, in these footprints as well. Excellent. Harry, I really appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I hope you don't mind if I uh, keep tabs on, on the team and send you a message here or there. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And, uh, of course, uh, one of my favorite things about going back and coaching the Western Hockey League was going back and seeing so many friends. Yeah. And uh, even people that, you know, were people re off ice officials that were still working in Kamloops and things like that. It was a it was a really great thing and something that's special to me. So I appreciate you reaching out to us. And for sure, if you ever want to do this again, we're we're available. Thanks again. Excellent. Well, continued good luck this season. All right, brother. All right. You have the best great rest of your day. Great job with what you're doing. It's great. Well, that was very kind of him to say that's uh, Harry Mahood. 
the head coach, general manager of the Amarillo Wranglers out of the North American Hockey League. We're going to talk more about the Null this year than we ever have in the past, that's for sure, as uh, that league continues to pump out players to the NCAA. Not just Division Three, but a lot of guys go in Division One now, more so than any other league. And yes, they have 29 teams. The USHL's got 17 or 16 uh, and uh, all the junior A leagues in Canada that that move players to the NCAA as well. But it's the null that's that's putting the most, and uh, so that's you know 30 about 30 33 percent 35 percent of players in the NHL are, are college guys. You got to talk about where those players are coming from, and that's the null. And how about his time in the WHL? That's amazing to me that you you play for. Basically, you play for two franchises, but they both moved while you were with them, and uh, one of them folded. Uh, that's it's uh, it's amazing to me, and I personally would love to see the WHL back in Montana if it was possible. You need ownership, though, and Harry mentioned that you got to have the the right owners who are willing to make that commitment, not just financially, but you know over a long term. And uh, you need the facility, but there happens to be a twelve thousand seat rink in Billings. Hmm, interesting. Okay, from the North American Hockey League, we uh, come back closer to home for me, and that's the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And uh, the newest franchise of the league started play this season. They are located just north of Red Deer. That's Blackfalls. Let's get to know the Bulldogs with the owner, the president, the head coach, the general manager. He does it all. His name is Doug Quinn, and he's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Soretsky. Mitchell, one-time shot, scores! Ian Mitchell, this kid's been red hot here on this road trip. He's got goals in back-to-back games, and he opens the scoring here. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Spruce Grove Saints, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Sticks and Honky Tonk is back with Canadian superstars Jade Eagleson and Jess Mosker. Don't miss all your boot stopping favorites with a rock and tailgate party and drive in concert October 9th at Western Star Trucks North in Atchison. Hockey Sticks and Honky Tonk presented by GS Construction and Next Gen Transportation. A live concert in support of local charities. Tickets are sold by the carload and start at $30 per person. Get yours at tickets.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Fights like an old lady. We are back on the Pipeline Show, and we continue getting to know uh, some of the new teams uh, in junior hockey, and uh, that'll take us to Black Vaults here momentarily. Program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. That is Alberta's best beef turkey. Two locations, Leduc and Spruce Grove. But if you're in Western Canada, you don't have to make the drive. Any order, any size, anywhere, they'll ship it to you in Western Canada. Just get in contact with either location. That's WilhockBeefJerky.com. We head down to uh, Black Falls, the newest team in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, the Bulldogs, beginning play this season, although uh, the Twitter account has been active for a long time, and it's, it's a good follow if you're not already following the team. Uh, but pleased to be joined by the owner, president, and head coach of the Bulldogs, that's Doug Quinn. Uh, Doug, welcome to the program. How are you? Well, I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, it's uh, everybody from the Bulldogs is excited to be in the league, and yeah, we're glad to be on the program with you. 
it, it's been a, a long time in the process. So you finally get the, onto the ice here officially in the last month or so with training camp and all of that. But uh, what was the uh, the lead up time like? Were you just anxiously uh, awaiting all the time? I know everybody was dealing with COVID. So even if you were part of the league last year, you really couldn't have done a whole lot. Um, it's been a lot of work. Um, you know, you don't think that there's much that goes into it, but you know, if you think about where we started, where we basically started from scratch and it was just uh, two or three people and, you know, we got to put all the, the business model together, uh, you know, season tickets and sponsorship. Then we had to go out and find, uh, players and, um, you know, you know, basically, you know, we had to do all kinds of uh, recruiting across Alberta and, and the rest of Canada and some U.S. areas. So we've watched a, a ton of video just trying to find players and build a team. Can you give me a sense of what that process is like where you're, you're a brand new franchise and yet you're trying to entice people and, and kids to come and play for you? Uh, and I imagine there's a bit of a sales pitch that has to go along with that. Um, absolutely. You know, basically because... You know, we're starting from scratch, and and we really don't have any history. You know, we're basically you know selling the story of what we're building. Yeah. And um, I knew that um, 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 what we we're putting together with the the town of Black Falls, new rink, and you know, n- new dressing room, and um, um, just the excitement of being part of a new team. Um, um, yeah, we were selling the story, and. Um, um, for the most part, uh, you know, we've recruited uh, a solid group of players. Was it a tough sell? Did you have challenges? Did you have to kind of refine what you were doing uh, along the way? Um, it, it, you're always in, like, competition with players, and, you know, it's easy for some of the teams that, um, you know, have success and um, in the past, and, and they're basically able to say, uh, you know, look, we have a good team, and uh, we put kids on to the – know the next level for mm-hmm. us um you know we have to sell the the potential of what we're building and um and you know overall i think that we did uh, pretty good i would have to say so you got four americans on the club which is interesting as well picking random ethan lund from hermantown minnesota the real good high school program there so to get a guy to leave uh, that area uh that's uh, kudos to you uh, all right, on the ice, uh, things didn't go your way on opening night, that uh, 17 nothing thumping by the Brooks Bandits. I, <laughs> I imagine you were a little embarrassed and maybe more than a little pissed off uh, at the outcome. But um, since then, you rattled off two wins. So was it just sort of a you know a, a rude awakening, wake-up call to the league? But uh, it certainly looks like uh, it inspired you guys. Well, obviously, um, we were a little embarrassed with the uh, the result, I think it was a combination of things. Um, you know, um, we only had uh, um, one player that had actually played junior hockey, so it was kind of the, you know, the first junior game for you know for most of the team. Um, um, we were probably a little overwhelmed with the, uh, um, you know, with just all the hype and and everything going into. Uh, into that first game and you know we probably weren't ready to play um, arguably the top junior program in in Canada Um, and so once it started going a little bit sideways um, you know it's kind of hard to stop but give the players credit uh, uh, you know we came back the next day and you know had a 
team meeting, made a few changes and, you know, came out and won, you know, our next couple of games. And, um, and I know that we'll be competitive, um, you know, even in our exhibition, we were playing some of the, the better teams in the league. So I just chalked that first game up as to first game jitters and, um, and yeah, we moved on pretty quick. You mentioned the team meeting. I was wondering, you know, do you have that meeting right after the game? Well, like, what do you say in the dressing room after a, a 17, nothing loss? You said it was the next day though. So everybody kind of sleeps on it, wakes up and, and then you address it. Um, yeah, like even as coaches, you know, um, you know, for us, uh, um, we need to kind of regroup our thoughts and, um, and, you know, made some changes to some of our defensive zones, some of our forward check, uh, um, you know, made a couple changes uh, in our lineup. And uh, um, I guess the way that I uh, portrayed it to my team, I said, think of a, a golfer who's like, a, you know, a three, five handicap and you go out and you shoot 95 and nothing goes good. You're, you know, you're right hooking it off the tee or three putting your, and you can't figure out why. And the next day you come out and you shoot 75. So like, I'm not really that concerned about it and we've moved on from it. So other than, um, the, you know, bruise to the ego, um, that game's irrelevant and we've moved on from it. So there's really no point rehashing it. Yeah. You, you, and you play three games in three days, you lose the first one, but then you get back to back wins uh, against Olds and then Canmore, and uh, I know uh, as we're recording right now, it's Wednesday. You played last night in Calgary and lost that one. Tough uh, start here in the th- in the sense that you're playing on the road uh, for the first four games of the season in September and all of October, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things too. Like we're still, you know, delays in um, our home rank being built, so <laughs> we've been the traveling road show. Like we haven't even. Um, had a, a you know home rank to really practice in, um, and there's been delays, and so we were going to play our first six games um, on the road anyway. We'd planned that, um, but as it turned out, there was further delays. So yeah, we're basically playing our first 12 games on the road. So if we can get through this stretch and then get back into you know our home rank and get a routine going. Um, yeah, I feel confident moving forward. Well, if if anything brings a team together, it's a little adversity. Maybe this is something you can use in that regard to, you know, get the team gelling uh, early on. And then, you know, you look past those those first 12 games and then you got a lot of home games in the second half. Could really be a, a, a big thing. There's no doubt that you, um, you learn and you grow from adversity. And, um, and, you know, there's nothing we can really do about it. Uh, you know, this is a situation and the cards we were dealt. So, you know, we deal with that and we move forward. And, yeah, like you said, utilize this as an opportunity to build and grow as a team. Uh, being a new team, uh, obviously everybody's trying to get to know your uh, your roster a little bit. Uh, who are some of the uh, the, the highlighted players uh, that fans will, will certainly gravitate to? I know you got a couple of committed players already to the NCAA. Um, we got some good young, young talent. Um, that's one of the things that... Uh, um, that we were able to do is, um, you know, to recruit, uh, some good young, young talent, like Jaden Jolly's done really well. Um, Kai Matthews, Ethan Lund, like you were saying, um, you know, we got some good young defensemen and, um, 
you know, Kate Ellertson and, and Kate Bergera. Um, you know, the, really what we just need is just time and, and um, to let uh, some of those kids grow and, and take it to a new level. Um, but yeah, we got some good young talent and, you know, we've made a few changes to maybe get a little bit more experience on the back end. Um, and, um, yeah, just, we need to have enough experience just so those good young players can have a good environment to develop them. I mentioned Kai Matthew and you did too, committed to the University of Denver, uh, which is a, you know, if you're going to Denver, you know you're a good player because they don't uh, yep. hand out opportunities to, to just anybody. Um, can you give us a bit of a, a sense of what kind of a player he is? I, I believe he's an Edmonton area kid, is he not? Yeah, he's uh, from Edmonton. Um, Kai's got um, um, great physical tools, a great skater, can really shoot the puck. Um but you know he's a young guy. He's only 16 years old, yeah. and uh, and you know once he gets uh, a little bit more experience and um, you know kind of gains that confidence, um, um, he's a high-end talent, and he's definitely going to be a player down the road. Well, drafted by the Kamloops Blazers, also drafted by the Sioux Falls Stampede, so he had options and still chose to to go to Black Falls. Uh, that that's got that tells me something right there that he's a believer in your, what you're doing. Well, and I think that um, you know, not just Kai, but a lot of the the kids. Um, what we're building here, um, you know, is it's something different, and um, you know, just the commitment from the community, the the resources that we have put into the team, and and you know the. The group of uh, not just coaches, but to the you know men group, um, you know, with my my wife Jody, what she's done, and and the group that she's uh, assembled. Like we're putting together, um, a, you know, a great program, and and I think that we um, have shown that to a lot of the players, and there's a lot of them that want to be a part of it. Doug Quinn is the uh, owner, president, GM, uh, head coach, uh, does everything. Are you selling popcorn in the intermissions as well, Doug? <laughs> well, actually, I always, uh, my um, fallback is uh, when there's so much going on, I said, well, I'm just the coach. And so, um, you know, other people have to, to, to step up and do a lot of things, and they have. Uh, you know, like I said, my wife, Jody, and Al Prada, and, and um, has done a lot, and, uh, and yeah, for me, um, I have a lot of stuff outside of hockey. So when I come to the rink, um, for the most part, I just want to coach. Well, you got the uh, the big showcase this weekend. All the teams converging in one place, and uh, there'll be a lot of NCAA scouts and things like that uh, there, and, and coaches and staff trying to recruit players. Uh, what else you got coming up this month, other than what we know already? A lot of games on the road, but what's sort of the focus uh, for the month? Um, I think for um, a lot of it, um, you know, definitely, you know, we're looking to, you know, continue to grow as a team. We're looking to, um, you know, recognize where we need to get better and, and work on those things in practice. Um, you know, we're still evaluating, um, you know, our, our talent and our weaknesses and where we need to, need to get um, stronger. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, we just need to continue to 
just grow and, and, you know, let our, our young guys, uh, you know, gain that confidence. So yeah, we're ready to play and compete against the top teams in the league. Well, uh, congrats on the jerseys. They're pretty sharp-looking uh, uh, Bulldogs jerseys that are available out there. And uh, the, the, I mentioned at the start the the Twitter account's been active for a long time, and it's always great. I see you know trying to pick some friendly rivalry fights with other clubs in the AJHL for the you know like the last year and stuff. By design, I'm guessing, try to be be involved uh, in the league as much as possible, even before you were able to play your first game. Well, there's no doubt that, you know, with, uh, we're building our program from scratch and, and, you know, part of, uh, building any good business is, you know, the sales and marketing. And, yeah. um, so we put the, um, you know, the resources and the commitment into, um, into the social media, into the marketing, um, uh, you know, creating the hype, um, and it all kind of, goes together to build, um, you know, like a very good business model. So, yeah, we feel good with what we've done so far, but, you know, we're not near satisfied. Yeah, you know, we're looking to compete and be one of the top teams in the league. Well, Doug, you got Fort Mac on uh, Friday and uh, the Bonneville Pontiacs on Saturday. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Best of luck uh, the rest of the way this year. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, have a great day. That was Doug Quinn, the uh, man behind the Blackfalls Bulldogs, the newest franchise in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And uh, obviously I had to ask about the 17 to nothing uh, loss on opening night to the uh, Brooks Bandits. Did admit that they were embarrassed, which you can understand. Didn't really uh, say if he was angry about it or not. And I, I wondered, I, I thought I would open the door up in case he wanted to say something. I know I talked to uh, some fans as well as, uh, you know, just some people who had an, an, an opinion on seeing a 17 nothing score in a league like that, that was a bad look for the league. Uh, but when I asked Doug about it, he didn't go there, let's put it that way. But good for the Bulldogs, getting up off the mat and winning their next couple of games. They did lose on Tuesday night against the Calgary Canucks. But that's that's a tough situation for them, where they play the first six weeks of the regular season all on the road. That's tough. But on the back end, that could be a real blessing afterwards, where you know if you're in a tight race, to make the playoffs or something, and then two-thirds of your games in the second half are all at home, that might be the silver lining. So we'll see moving forward. Next guest on the Pipeline Show, as we uh, look at the United States Hockey League, we're going to speak with uh, Jim Leitner. He writes for the Dubuque Telegraph Herald in Dubuque, covering the Fighting Saints. We'll uh, set the stage for the USHL season next, here on the Pipeline Show, fueled by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Don Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross ice, center ice to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, Weisbach refeeds Holloway open, scores! <laughs> what a fantastic play! Holloway, Weisbach, back to Holloway. 1 1, wow! And you're listening to Pipeline Show. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Johnny Gaudreau. Backhand score! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. Goal! And Shane Gossespierre were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I'm not the first guy who fell in love with a girl he met in a restaurant who then turned out to be the daughter of a kidnapped scientist, only the loser to a childhood lover who she'd last seen on a deserted island and who turned out 15 years later to be the leader of the French underground. Okay, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by our title sponsor. That's Wilhock Beef Turkey, the best beef turkey in all of Alberta. I know my next guest might love beef jerky, but can't get it where he is because they'll ship it anywhere in Western Canada, but might be a little too far to get down to Dubuque. Uh, as we are going to talk a little USHL hockey now, and uh, that means we head to Dubuque. Jim Leitner from the Dubuque Telegraph Herald uh, is my guest. Uh, welcome back to the program, Jim. How are things? Oh, great, great. Beautiful day outside, upper 80s right now. Still almost uh, swimsuit weather yet, but uh, <laughs> hockey's right around the season, and every time you go into the rink, it's nice and cool, so you remember that uh, it's hockey season again. But uh, other than that, you know, beautiful weather and uh, waiting for the leaves to turn so we can uh, really get into the midst of uh, hockey season. Yes, it, it has that feel, though, that you can feel it in the morning. It Maybe it's a little cooler, crisper. Yeah, uh, same thing happening up here, of course. Um all right, well, the USHL season is now underway after the showcase out in Pittsburgh. Uh, every team, I think, has played a couple of games thus far, and uh, the team in your backyard, the Fighting Saints, are are 1-0-1 out of the gate. Uh, not many teams actually came out through the uh, the showcase undefeated, just three, Chicago, Des Moines, and Tri-City. Um, but let's talk about uh, what your expectations are for this year. First off, knock on wood, we actually get back to regular sort of, you know, don't have to worry nearly as much about travel and restrictions and and all that stuff down south right well yeah exactly and i'll tell you the the thing that i've really enjoyed so far just being back for the last couple weeks or so is going to the rink and talking to the players and really getting a feel for their personalities and uh and who they are as people because last year you know even though we had a season you know everybody had to wear masks you know throughout the rink and you know and when i do interviews you could almost you could almost feel the players kind of pulling back a little bit because they didn't want to breathe on me and I didn't want to breathe on them. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, really a, a, an odd season. But, you know, what I'm really enjoying is getting to know those players again and getting a feel for their personalities a lot better. And uh, it's something that you kind of take for granted until you have a season like last year where you really can't do the things you want to do and, you know, you really have to be careful everywhere you go. So that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most uh, about this. And But, you know, Dubuque has a really nice team uh, put together under first-year head coach Greg Brown. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk that this team could go pretty deep into the playoffs again this year. Well, this has been one of the, the perennial competitive franchises in the USHL since the, the team came back into the league. What And, boy, that feels like it's a long time ago. But what was that, maybe 10, 15 years ago? It was 2010-11 is when they came back, and uh, they have never finished below 500. Yeah, uh, they've they've minute they've made the playoffs every year, uh, every year that they've had a playoffs uh, with the, the 2020 being the only exception. But they've always finished above 500. They've they've always made the playoffs, and this past year was the first time that you know they made the playoffs but didn't win a first round series. So you're talking about a team that has certainly had a lot of success over the last few years. And you're talking about four different coaches over that span as well. So it's been a real model of consistency, despite turnover, not only with the players, but the coaches and the staff. And uh, it speaks a lot to the organization as as, as a whole in terms of bringing in the right people, the right players, and and, uh, following a good winning formula. 
All right, when I was looking at the roster for the uh, the Fighting Saints this year, I'm always intrigued because I'm north of the border, see how many Canadians are on it and where uh, across all the different states players are coming from nowadays. But the first thing that jumped out at me is there's six Swedes listed on this team. There are. I did not expect that. What I thought the import rule was, wasn't it like five or something like that? Did that get changed or, or what's the situation there? I believe it's still four or five but you know the the interesting part of that is you have a lot of those guys are dual citizens okay um so you have uh in particular uh defenseman lucas olvestad his dad played in the nhl uh played for the tampa bay lightning and he was born in tampa i believe 2002 so he counts as he doesn't count as an import player okay um so that's uh so that's kind of how they were able to do it a lot of these guys were were trained north of the border or trained overseas or north of the border, but they've actually have dual citizenship and uh, they have a goaltender Paxton Geisel, who's from, from up in Saskatchewan. Uh, he's actually played down here for more than four years so that he gets grandfathered in. So he doesn't, there's no uh, import right. status for him as well. Okay. So uh, they do have a lot of guys who their hometown is listed as, you know, being imports, but actually they have dual citizenship, and that's uh, you know that's why they have so many uh, former foreign players on the team. All right, well that makes sense. When you look at this roster, uh, who are the standout players for you that uh, fans are going to get to know and love? Well, I think uh, boy, there's a lot of them. Samuel Scholund is uh, one of those uh, import players. He's from Stockholm. He's a 2019 draft pick of the Dallas Stars. And uh, he's going to, I think he's going to be an outstanding player, great puck moving defenseman, uh, really exciting to watch. Uh, Philip Svedback is a goaltender from Stockholm as well. And he's a Boston Bruins draft pick uh, 2021, just this summer. Uh, boy, then you go up and down the lineup. There's, you know, I hate to leave anybody out, but they've got a, a pretty well loaded uh, roster. And uh, not just those, uh, not just those foreign players, there's a lot of uh, domestic players and a lot of, guys from up in your neck of the woods that are going to be impact players as well. Uh, a big key too, is they have, I believe they have 11 or 12 veterans back from last season. Okay. Uh, and this is a league where if you, uh, you know, your second year players are always, it's always huge to have second year players. And like I said, they've got, they've got 11 or 12 of them this year. Um, and a lot of that was last year. They went kind of young, uh, with the roster, general manager Callie Larson went uh, young last year because he figured uh, last winter was going to be a difficult season in terms of scouting. So, you know, there was some question, you know, how prepared would you be for the draft when you don't get to see these guys a lot? Mm-hmm. So they went really young. They brought a lot of guys in that were maybe a year or two away. They got their feet wet, uh, learned what it was like to be a fighting saint and what it was like to win the expectations of winning in Dubuque and, you know, now those, all those guys are back this year uh, for a second year. And I think that's one of the big reasons why everybody's so excited about this team is, you know, there's so much veteran depth coming back from a year ago. Jim, we were talking about how it, it feels good to be much closer to normal once again. And, and in regards to that, it's great to have Cedar Rapids and, uh, and the Madison Capitals back in the league after taking last year off and for different reasons, of course, but it's great to have a, a full complement of teams again. You have no idea. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was kind of, it was almost a little emotional uh, a couple weeks back when Cedar Rapids came up here for an exhibition game. Uh, Cedar Rapids is about an hour away from Dubuque and uh, a big rival for the last 10 years, 10, 11 years. It's always been a huge rivalry. 
because it's so close. You know, fans can travel back and forth. It's it's a friendly rivalry. The fans get along. Uh, it, there's no there's no real animosity there. There's no bitterness or anything like that. It's always been a real good rivalry. Uh, and last year you didn't have that at all. And uh, so I mean, we really missed that for the last last season. And I mean, it's really nice to have them back. And Madison is is kind of in a similar situation. They're about an hour and a half away from Dubuque. And uh, again, that's a, an easy drive for both teams' fans to go back and forth. And uh, to lose both those teams in the same season was was really tough. Madison, they really couldn't play last year because the COVID restrictions in Dane County were really off the charts, and it was really next to impossible for them to play. Yeah. Uh, even deep into the season, it was you know at the beginning of the year, I was like, "Geez, are they overreacting here?" Uh, but boy, you looked into February and, and March and the restrictions were still there. So it was really going to be difficult for them to play. And uh, Madison or Cedar Rapids didn't play last year because uh, we had a once in 100 year storm uh, rip through Cedar Rapids and, and rip the roof off their building. Yeah. Uh, so they weren't able to play. And uh, it, it actually looked like a, like a bulldozer just swept through the whole city, ripped down. I think almost every tree in the city of Cedar Rapids was ripped down uh, just by this, this derecho, they called it. And so they weren't able to play. And, uh, you know, that, that, so it, it, was, it was really difficult to, to go through a year. I think it had the most impact on Dubuque because those were two of its closest rivals, you know, and not only do you not get to play them, but now you have to play, you have to go to Youngstown a couple more times. You have mm-hmm. to go to Muskegon a couple more times. And those are overnight trips. Whereas if you play Cedar Rapids or Madison, those are just overnighters. And, and again, they're, they're the games that a lot of fans want to see. So you lose out at the, at the box office as well. Did Cedar Rapids build a new rink or did they just repair the the one they had? They repaired it. They, they okay. had, uh, they had a two sheet facility. The one, the NHL size rink is that's where the Rough Riders play that ripped off a corner of the roof and you know from the outside it didn't look terrible on the nhl side rink of the rink but i guess the infrastructure was really really bad and uh the damage was really bad and and they also have an olympic size rink there that has no seating and that was really demolished so um they just repaired it they uh they uh upgraded all their locker rooms and all the infrastructure inside so and i think there's Still in the process of putting the finishing touches on that, so they've been working on that for for quite a while now. And you know, it's easy to see why they weren't able to play last year because of the damage that was done. And yeah. there was really no solution for them to go anywhere close by or anything like that. It was just uh, best for them to just take a dark year. One of the things that is different than uh, well, a long time in the USHL is uh, PK O'Hanley uh, stepping aside uh, from his uh, coaching duties in Waterloo. I don't think my show was in creation uh, before uh, P.K. O'Hanley was behind the bench for Waterloo. So that's a big change. Yeah. And he was before that, he was in uh, North Iowa, which was uh, North, North Iowa eventually moved and became Cedar Rapids. So he's been in the year for, in the league for a long, long time. And uh, yeah, that's going to be real difficult for, or different for us too, because, you know, Waterloo is another one of those real close rivalries for Dubuque. And, you know, it just, it's going to be, strange not to see him behind the bench of the Blackhawks this year but you know he's a tremendous guy you know I actually had a had the opportunity to uh to cover Team USA they played in the Viking Cup 
mm-hmm. up in uh, okay. up in Augustana, up there in, in your neck of the woods. In Camrose, yeah. Yeah, yeah Camrose, Alberta, yeah. And uh, that was probably a good 15 years ago. And I got a chance to meet him. He's a great guy, a great guy off the ice and, you know, develops his players, not just on the ice, but as young men as well. And a uh, great, great uh, ambassador for the league. And, um, yeah, we're certainly going to miss him around here. And, you know, I, I don't think we're going to – I think they got the better of Dubuque the last 10 or 12 years. They always seem to have the, the Fighting Saints number. So mm-hmm. we're not going to miss that aspect of it around here, but we're certainly going to miss uh, – his personality and getting a chance to talk to him after games because, you know, such a wealth of information, such a wealth of knowledge and, you know, just a great guy to work with. I remember one of the years the Viking Cup uh, was up here in uh, in Camrose. Well, it was always in Camrose, but one year it was like minus 40 or something. That wasn't the year you uh, were here, was it? That might have been the year oh, I was wow. there. I, uh, let me, I think it was 2004 maybe. Yeah. 2004. Well, it's, it's over Christmas in the, the new year. So I think it's, yep. 2000, but I remember that. That was the coldest I've ever been in my life. And, uh, and it's kind of funny now when it gets cold down here, when it gets minus 20, I'm like, geez, it's not as cold as it was that winter up in Camrose. That's even, right. though, even though I was just, there, just for, just for a couple of days, I was up there, but, uh, well, really neat facility, really neat town. And I really enjoyed that experience, but I did not like the weather up there. <laughs> well, and the Fahrenheit and Celsius scales cross at one point, and that's minus 40. So, uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> the listeners on both sides of the border will be able to appreciate how cold that was. It was like sticking your head in the freezer. Yes. Even colder than that. It was unbelievable. All right. We talked about how Dubuque has become such a – it's just maintained their, their strength and their uh, competitive nature and success. Uh, since they've come back into the league, well, lately that team has uh, been the Chicago Steel that's taken it to a, a whole another level of consistency. Uh, are they still considered the team to beat here in the USHL this year? I certainly think so. Yeah, they uh, they started out. They're one of the only teams, one of the three teams that started out two and zero out at the uh, the Winter Class or at the Fall Classic in Pittsburgh, and uh, they don't show any signs of slowing down. It was. Interesting. They lost a lot of their top guns from last year. Uh, Sean Farrell being the, the, the most notable of one, the leading scorer in the league, over 100 points. But boy, they just seem to come at you in waves. And, you know, now they, they're just going to reload. And, you know, Adam Santilli is, uh, it looks like he's going to be one of the top draft, pack, draft, draft prospects uh, for the NHL this coming year. And um, last year he had. He had 36 points in 49 games as a 16-year-old, um, which is pretty remarkable. And um, it was almost kind of like he was almost lost because they had so many stars ahead of him. Yeah. You know, he was kind of able to, to kind of come in and be, you know, kind of play a secondary role. He wasn't really relied on and being the top guy or the go-to guy. Uh, but he learned from guys like Sean Farrell and those guys. And and uh, they really developed. And I, I think he's going to probably be as good a player in the ushl as you'll see this whole year uh the other one of the other teams that's off to a great start is des moines they, they've scored 12 goals in their first two games i don't know if that's just a, a mirage and maybe a more of an indication of uh, the teams they're playing against but at least on paper it seems like they're uh, a team to watch for yeah they're one of, i think there's like seven teams in the league that have new coaches this year and, and they're one of them uh, matt curley is their new coach there and you know obviously off to a great start in the west and um I think in the West, I think the team to beat is probably going to be Tri City. Okay, um, they're a team that uh, the team that won it last, won the West last year in the regular season. They really got ravaged by injuries at the end of the season, but they were uh, 
you know, they were really good towards the end or throughout the season. They just got hurt by injuries, but they're going to be another good team. Uh, Des Moines has had a history of real fast starts, and then it's just a matter of whether or not they can maintain it. Uh, but we'll see under under Matt Curley if they can maintain that throughout the whole course of the season. Uh, the, the thing with the West is just the West is just such a grind. You know, it, it's been like that for for several years. They just beat up on each other, and um, it's really really tough to navigate the West. Uh, so I mean. As good as Des Moines has started, it'll be interesting to see if they can hold on and, and maintain that throughout the whole season and um, see who comes out of the West because it's going to be a, a slugfest, no question. Jim, have you had the uh, the opportunity to travel to each of the rinks in the USHL? Um, most of them. Uh, um, most of the closer ones. Probably the farther ones I really haven't. But uh, Madison, Cedar Rapids, Waterloo... Um, trying to think. Have we been to Omaha? Uh, I'm trying to think off the top, but most of them. But you know, a lot of times I uh, I watch the games on hockey TV, so I get a right. pretty good feel for their buildings. So, uh, but yeah, there are a lot of great communities in the USHL. A lot of really good markets, and you know, a lot of really neat facilities. That some of them I still got to get on my bucket list to get out and see them, but. Uh, Maybe this year. I was wondering, like, from a, a hockey tourist perspective, you know, somebody who's never had the USHL experience and wants to go check it out, you know, if there was one rink that they should go to to kind of um, have that fan experience. I mean, I've heard lots about the Icebox for, for was it, is it Lincoln that plays in the Icebox? I Lincoln. think so. Yeah, um, Lincoln, yeah. Is, is there one in particular that has the reputation for what it's like to to enjoy it as a fan? Well, I'll tell you what. If, if you're a fan of, like, historic really old barns then Des Moines probably your place to go okay um it's got an old wooden roof it's it's really intimidating place to play um but I think you might have to hurry to get there because I think they're going to uh, open a new facility ah. in the next couple of years they're actually they're actually converting an old shopping mall part of an old shopping mall into a, a multi-sheet facility for the USHL team. So that's going to be really exciting. But that's that's always been one of my favorites. I know the players don't really care to play there because it's old and it's, you know, they, they have some uh, mechanical issues at Des Moines that, that are kind of neat addressing, but they will address that with the new building. Uh, Waterloo is really an intimidating place. It's about a 3,000-seat Olympic sheet ice uh, surface, but it's got a really low roof. So it's incredibly, incredibly loud, and um, you can barely hear yourself think uh, in there. I saw them play in the Clark Cup Finals several years back, and, boy, my ears were ringing probably for the next two or three days because it was just so loud in there. Um, and then on top of that, out west, you have Sioux Falls. They play in the, uh, the Stanford Center, I think it is, and that's a like a 10,000-seat arena. Wow. Uh, they, they play – they play uh, in Fargo. They play some NCAA regional tournament games in Fargo. Yeah. Uh, so those are some really nice ones. I, I like. I really would like to see Tri City. That's a neat facility out there too. Uh, I just haven't. It's about twelve hours from us, so I haven't been able to go out to see their their facility. But there are a lot of really really neat uh, facilities in the USHL, and um, you know I know that there are a lot of fans in Dubuque who you know, make it a point to at least go see all these buildings at least once a year because they're such uh, good facilities. Yeah. Well, I've only had the opportunity to see one game in the USHL. That was in Muskegon uh, back in the uh, 
Boy, I another was, one. Yeah, there I want to say one. it was 2011. It was the USHL uh, prospect game that year that I yep. was able to yep. attend. Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, listen, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. I hope you don't mind if I call you again throughout the season. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime you want to hear anything about the USHL, we're glad to glad to jump on board. And I appreciate all the work that you do up there and uh, shining some light down on the USHL. That's Jim Leitner, who covers the USHL from his home in Dubuque. Obviously watching the uh, Fighting Saints very closely. Uh, one of the questions I asked him, are the Chicago Steel the team to beat? I think that's a fair question, and he said they are. And uh, I, I just wondered, you know, can they keep it going? They've been so good. Now Ryan Hardy has left the organization. He was the GM that uh, that put all those players in, in place. Well, he's now gone. He's in the American Hockey League uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. So we'll see. Uh, but it should be a, another good year. And I agree with him. I, I think it's great to see Cedar Rapids and Madison uh, back in the league and just fills things out. And uh, you, you get a little bit closer uh, being back to normal again. And uh, I think that's probably just a good feeling for the players and everybody around the league. And I, I understand what it's like from the media guy perspective as well, because I went through the same thing feeling really removed from it. Uh, and now that the, the leagues are all starting up, uh, we can get back into the uh, into the swing of things this season. Another league that is getting ready to kick things off, it's the Ontario Hockey League. Let's go there next as uh, Brad Cogemilio from the Sioux Today is going to join us. We'll talk about those Greyhounds, but uh, lots to cover. This is a league that did not play at all last year. What are they doing this year? What's different? What do the fans need to know? And who are the teams to watch for? Let's find out next as Brad joins us, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Here's Perlini. Perlini loads it up, and he scores! It's a hat Hey, it's Brendan Perlini from Niagara Ice Dogs, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Final segment to go on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show as we've previewed the season for the well all month we did the WHL. Then we've uh, this show we've done the the Q and the USHL and a bit of the NAHL and some AJHL and uh, now we're headed out to the Ontario Hockey League. First though, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by our title sponsor. Wilhock Beef Jerky, it's Alberta's best beef jerky. If you're in Western Canada, you can uh, have it shipped to you anywhere, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. Just get in contact with either location in Leduc or Spruce Grove, Alberta, and they will satisfy that craving you have for some delicious beef jerky. All right, we're heading out to uh, Sault Ste. Marie in Ontario as uh, Brad Cogemilio is uh, back on the Pipeline Show. Brad, it's been a long time since we've been yeah. able to talk OHL. Uh, welcome back to the show, just how great is it to get back into the rank? Yeah, I appreciate you. Appreciate you having me on. It's definitely been a while since we've been able to catch up. It's uh, 
it's been exciting to get back into the rink. There was, uh, especially in Ontario last year, it was, it was a, a weird winter in the sense that, you know, only a handful of leagues really got into any games last year. Um, in this area, in the Sioux, the, the tier two league played, you know, basically kind of a cohort system where it was basically, you know, a handful of teams playing regularly against each other. Um, so to get some OHL games in this year, it's going to be kind of nice. I've, uh, I've got in a, a couple of exhibition games here so far heading into uh, heading into the regular season. And it was, uh, it was strange to be back in the rink, but it was nice to be back in the rink for something other than getting a vaccination shot. So <laughs> it was definitely nice to, uh, it was definitely nice to be in there for some hockey. Well, uh, the OHL doesn't start until next week. Uh, as we're chatting right now, it's Thursday, uh, September 30th, but the league doesn't get going until October 7th. So still a little bit of preseason hockey here this weekend, but are you getting a sense right now of sort of which teams are expected to to be strong contenders this year and and which teams might be using this more as a, a development league a development season rather? Yeah, I mean I think we're, you know, I think you're right. I think we're at a point where um you know, teams have their rosters fairly close to um fairly close to where they're going to be um you know, when the regular season starts next week, uh, like I know here in the Sioux, um, locally, the Greyhounds are, you know, their roster's pretty close. I mean, I'm sure there are going to be a couple of guys that may end up, you know, getting reassigned to tier two and stuff, but you know, their roster as it guys come back from NHL camp is pretty close to what it's going to be um, next weekend when they open the regular season. So, you know, you're getting a, a good look at, at some guys. And I mean, obviously like, you know, all three leagues, there's, you know, some question marks up in the air as guys are at NHL camps. But, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of teams are at that point where, you know, their roster's pretty close to what they're going to see next weekend when the regular season starts, for sure. Well, I know the CHL uh, preseason top 10 just came out, and uh, there are three OHL teams in the top 10. Kingston at number four, uh, Windsor at number eight, uh, and I missed somebody, O'Berry at number five. Yeah, uh, with an honorable mention to uh, the London Knights. So I don't see the Greyhounds. Well, what are you thinking? What are you expecting for the Greyhounds this year? Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting year. Um, I, they're like, you know, I was looking through some of the rosters the other day. They're going to be like uh, like a lot of teams in the league where they're going to be very inexperienced in goal. Um, you know, they've got a, a couple of rookies that are going to start the year here, um, and Charlie Schenkel and Samuel Ivanov. Um, you know, one's an 03 birth year, the other's an 04. Um, you know, so they're going to be relatively inexperienced there. But, you know, I talked to Graham's Jim Kyle Raftis, uh, you know, a handful of times over the summer, and a, a lot of teams are in that position. So, you know, they were comfortable going in with a couple of rookies as opposed to, you know, trying to trade for one of the very few veterans that are, um, that are out there in goal. Um, you know, on the blue line, they stand to be pretty good. Uh, Ryan O'Rourke's a Minnesota pick and, you know, he was their captain, which would be two years ago now, considering, you know, not getting any games in last year. He played 30 odd games with the Iowa wild last year. And, you know, it was a real good development year for him. Um, you know, up front, they stand to be pretty good um, as well. You know, offensively, they should be uh, they should be pretty decent. Their top two lines should be pretty good. Uh, you know, Rory Cairns is a, is a Calgary pick. He had a real good second year in the league in, in 2019-20. Um, they jumped from nine goals in year one to 30 in year two. Um, Tanner Dickinson came in that year. He's a St. Louis pick, had a really good year as a, as a free agent invite. Um 
Yeah, so they're, they they stand to be they stand to be pretty good. Um, they're overage situation. They're in an interesting overage situation. They've got five guys, and um, you know they're all guys that can pretty well play in the league. So you know whoever they decide to go with uh, this year is their three OAs. They're probably you know a couple of experienced guys that they can they can move to other teams. There are a couple of teams in the league that are limited in that in that spot as far as OAs are concerned. So, you know, there is a market for those guys as well. I mean, it's gonna be gonna be an interesting year. I mean, there are you know, a lot of teams that are kind of in that same position where it's gonna be a ton of inexperience. Um, you know, a lot of teams it's almost like half their roster is turned over from the last time they played games. So yeah. um it's gonna be an interesting year. I you know, this team is is a team that's always confident. Um, you know, and I know they're looking forward to it and I think they're relishing the idea that they're maybe going into the year as, you know, a team that's not considered a favorite or not considered a, you know, a top end team um, by some. And, you know, I think they're looking forward to that maybe coming in under the radar a little bit here as, as the year starts. Brad coach Milio from Sioux today is my guest as we're looking ahead to the upcoming OHL season. He joins me courtesy the troubled monk hotline. You mentioned the guys that were in the American hockey league last year. We saw there were, you know, a dozen or so players who went to Europe and got some ice time in. A lot of those guys were draft eligible. Other guys that were already drafted did get into uh, some AHL action. Is there no, uh, an allowance this year for those players to go back to the American Hockey League this year? I'm thinking guys like Zade Wisdom, uh, Tyson Forrester, guys like that. Are they back in the OHL or are they gone now for good? Yeah, and I, and I think it's on a you know it's on a case by case basis for for a lot of the NHL teams um, that have those rights. Um, they they do have it set up. So like a kid like Ryan O'Rourke, for example, here in the Sioux who played, I think he played in 33 or 34 games in Iowa last year. Um, there is an agreement in place that if Minnesota had wanted him to uh, to go back and play in the American League this year, he would have been technically eligible to play. Um, it seems like looking through it, it seems like, you know, a good chunk of players are probably going to end up back in junior. Um you know, a, a guy like O'Rourke, he got into, you know, got into a good chunk of games, but, you know, it might be a situation where it was the NHL team saying, hey, we want you to at least get into games um, somewhere. So, you know, it was kind of, a, you know, almost a one-year thing, so to speak. And, yeah. you know, nothing against Ryan and not saying he's, you know, he's not good enough, obviously, to play, you know, 30-plus games in that league is, as an 18-year-old is, you know, it's nothing to sneeze at, right? But, um, I think you're going to see a lot of those kids end up back in major junior, um, you know, as, as it being kind of a one-year thing last year, just with the, the circumstances being what they were. All right. I had a listener submit a question that, that wanted me to uh, send it your way. Uh, the question from Stephanie, who's a patron, are you hearing anything about the OHL's plan with the three U.S.-based teams in terms of fans in the building, travel across the border, things like that? As she says, all the announcements, uh, all the announcements coming from the OHL seem to be on the Ontario-based uh, clubs. What is happening right. with the U.S. teams this year? Uh, the border is going to be an issue in the in the WHL for the uh, the Western Conference. Uh, I'm guessing it's going to be problematic in the OHL then too. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and that's a that's a you know real good question. Um, you know, the the OHL is in a position right now where they basically work their schedule um, so that. The three uh, U.S.-based teams, which are Erie, Saginaw, and Flint, um, they're going to basically be playing against each other for basically the first month of the year. Um, so that'll take them into the early stages of November at this point. 
um, which as of right now with the way the border situation is, um, you know, it, it's going to take them to just after the next potential point where Canadian teams will be able to travel into the States. Right. Um, the interesting situation, we've come across it here in the Sioux because the, uh, the junior a league in the area actually has a team based in Sioux, Michigan, uh, across the river where, from where I am here in the Sioux. Um, the Sioux Ontario team was actually scheduled to open up their regular season on the Michigan side. Um, I guess it would have been almost two weeks ago now. Um, they've actually had to reschedule that game because, like, obviously the Canadian teams can't travel over there, but the Sioux Michigan based team has actually played some games on the Canadian side, um, played some of their road games that were scheduled. So, conceivably, the American teams can actually come over and play um, play in Ontario. Now, I'm not sure. You know, if the situation would change necessarily out west, but I know in Ontario, by the looks of things, it won't be much of an issue in the sense of the American teams coming over to play in Ontario. But the issue will come down to if that border closure gets extended, they're going to have to revisit the schedule at that point to um, to juggle it around to see how they're going to get um the canadian teams playing those games that were scheduled in the american cities um the league did set up a schedule more geographically than they have in other years so like for example here in the sioux they're seeing a lot of sudbury and north bay and they will actually see a lot of saginaw and flint because it's only about four hours down the road for each city um so it's going to be it's going to be interesting that it's geographical in that sense but um, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be that border closure is going to be an issue. Um, you know, if it runs further into November, um, than it already is. And as far as fans, I'm under the impression that it does just seen from, you know, some of the things that teams have reported over there, there are some fans in the, uh, in the buildings. Um, I'm not sure what their capacity limits are offhand, but I know they are allowing fans in the building and the same thing here in Ontario as well. We're at a point where, um, the province just recently announced basically 50% capacity. Um, so when the regular season starts next weekend, you know, for example, here in the Sioux, it'll be, it'll mean about 2,500 capacity in the building, um, which is, you know, like, you know, it's, it's big for a lot of the, a lot of the CHL teams to have that ticket revenue and, and those butts in the seats. Right. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's, uh, there's certainly a ton of moving parts here over the next, uh, the next few weeks as we, especially as we get into that situation with the American teams as well. All right. Well, we'll watch for those developments. I hope that answered uh, Stephanie's question. It, it'd be a shame if, uh, you know, if those three teams in the States, I mean, it's, it's two different States and maybe the jurisdiction or the, uh, the rules and the protocols are different, even just between Pennsylvania and Michigan. I, I don't know. I know out here, right. we've got four provinces in two States and it seems to be a little bit different in each place as well. So, uh, hopefully that border situation gets rectified, though, because I'd hate to see those three teams either just stranded and playing against each other or if they had to move into Ontario for the rest of the season and then they wouldn't have right. any home gates. That would be terrible. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely a, a very tough situation. And I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like they're all based in one very close area. Right. right? It's you know, as much as Saginaw and Flint are very close together, it's still... You know, it's not a super long hike, but it's still it's still a little bit of a ways to get from Saginaw and Flint to uh, to Erie and vice versa. Everybody's expecting Shane Wright will be the first player taken in the uh, in the 2022 NHL draft. Uh, I don't think that would surprise anybody, and all eyes will be on that team, obviously, because of that this season. Are there other significant uh, OHL players this year uh, for the draft that everybody's going to be watching for? Yeah, I mean, you know what? Shane Wright's obviously the uh, obviously the fun one. Um, it's unfortunate for a 
a lot of the uh, a lot of the fans, the OHL fans in the Western Conference cities, because of the way the schedule is set up, the Western Conference doesn't see any of uh, of Shane Wright this year. Ah. Um, but it's it, yeah, I mean, he's obviously the you know the huge name um, going forward. There's you know he, here in the studio, the interesting guy is as uh, a kid like Bryce McConnell Barker, who you know he, he's he's not super well known at this point based solely on the fact that he hasn't played a game in the league yet mm. um you know he was there he was their first round pick in the 2020 ohl draft um so he's part of that 2004 birth year group um coming in and you know what that not having a year last year kind of makes the draft class for the ohl um as far as next year's nhl draft very interesting because you know, like I said, this old four birth year, there's not a lot of guys that have played, you know, anything higher than higher than midget hockey at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a lot of guys that, you know, like McConnell Barker, like, um, you know, that, that haven't played any games. Like next weekend will be Bryce McConnell Barker's first OHL game. Um, you know, but he is a kid who is highly touted by a lot of people. Um, you know, he's a a good sized kid. He's six one, hundred and eighty, hundred and ninety pounds in, in that neighborhood. Um, you know, he's a center, he's he's smart, he you know, he skates well, he moves the puck well, just from, you know, the little bit that I've seen him here over, you know, the past uh, you know, four or five weeks, um, through training camp and through the exhibition games. And you know, he's he's an interesting kid, um, you know, in, in that sense. And you know, like I said, I mean the the OHL um, the OHL crop for the NHL draft. I think it's you know aside from you know the obvious one in Shane Wright, it's you know it, it's a little bit up in the air because of the limited experience that these guys have at uh, at this level at this point. What are the stories you're looking for this year, Brad? Things that that stick out for you, maybe just out of curiosity rather than what your expectations are. But there must be some things that you're kind of uh, focusing in on uh, to some degree. Yeah. I, and you know what? It was funny, you know, kind of going through, you know, going through rosters and, and, you know, seeing what, you know, teams have back, uh, you know, I, I look at a team like Kingston that, you know, obviously, you know, people know about them, they see them ranked and, and, and whatnot, but this is, you know, this is a team that struggled when it comes to long playoff runs over the years. And, you know, they're a, they're a team that's, you know, they're very skilled up front, whether it's, you know, right, Zade Wisdom, um, you know, Martin Kromiak, um, you know, in goal, they've got, uh, they've got the Ottawa prospect, uh, Levi Merlainen, um, who's, you know, coming in and is, is very highly touted. That's a team that could be, you know, could be interesting. They're a team that I'm kind of curious about just based on the talent they have coming in. Um, you know, an interesting team is, is Oshawa. They were, they were a group that were building for last year. Um, and they were kind of in a similar situation as the Sioux in that they were planning to bid for the Memorial Cup hosting rights last year. And that didn't happen. And that was a group, that Oshawa group, they were building for last year. They added Phil Tomasino at the yeah. deadline the year before. Um, you know, and, and they're in a position where as much as, you know, it was kind of, a, it was a lost year last year. And, you know, you lose the possibility of having Tomasino in your lineup for, for a full year. You know, that's a that's a group that, you know, there's still some interesting talent coming back, whether it's Brett Harrison, the Boston pick, Ty Tulio, the Edmonton pick. Um, you know, Leighton Moore was a was an important piece in uh a trade they made with Niagara a few years back uh, to get Jack Stadnika um uh, going the other way to Niagara. 
you know, he's a kid who they were really high on at that time. And they're one of the few teams that has a little bit of experience and goal in, in Zach Papoutsakis. So, you know, they're, they're a team that I'm kind of interested to watch this year. And they're, you know, could be maybe a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an under the radar or a, a sleeper team in the league as well, considering, you know, they were building for last year, but with so many teams having so much inexperience across the league, this could be a year where, you know, if you have a couple of those guys like Harrison and Tulio, you know, you could be in, in, in an interesting position if, you know, some of those young old fours and old fives that come into your lineup come in and develop early on and quickly. I don't know about you, but for me out here with the dub, uh, because, you know, I wasn't around it at all last year and it was just such a short season as it was, but with all the lockdown, I couldn't get to the rink or anything. So I felt really right. removed from it. I, I feel like I'm playing catch up a lot, trying to get uh, re-familiar with everybody in the league. Uh, is it the same for you with the OHL? Because, I mean, there wasn't even a season last year. And you know right. how much these kids change from one year to the next. And now it's almost been two years. Yeah, there's no question about that. Like, you know, that's that's dead on for me. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was nice that there were some games in, in the dub and, and in the queue last year. So, you know, I found myself watching a lot of that online. And, um, you know, even some of the NCAA hockey, um, you know, being in the Sioux, I'm based you know, basically 10 minutes from the rink that, uh, that Lake State, you know, Lake Superior State University plays at. They were, uh, you know, they went on a long run into the NCAA tournament last year. So it was nice to have that stuff. But like, as far as the OHL is concerned and considering how much turnover there is for so many teams, it's, you know, I, I, I've made the joke during the exhibition games that my lineup sheets are going to get very well used this year yeah. for every team, not just, uh, not just the visiting teams coming in to play the Greyhounds because it's, you know, like you said, you're playing a lot of catch up because, you know, there's a lot of teams that, you know, like I said before, close to half, if not over half their roster is going to be turned over from the last time they played games in 2020. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of catch up a lot, you know, there's a lot more reading. I find them, you know, reading as much as I can from other reporters and, you know, listening to, to podcasts and stuff, uh, you know, people who cover the teams just to, you know, like you said, play catch up and, and, you know, do as much as I can to be ready for when the regular season starts and, you know, to be familiar with the teams across the league and, you know, to a, to a further extent teams across the country. It, there's almost like an air of mystery. You don't, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. And to me, that makes it a little bit more interesting. Uh, but I think uh, the season's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. It's just going to be great to get back in and try to get back into as normal of the flow as possible even though COVID isn't gone and we all got to be aware of that for sure. Oh yeah. No question. Yeah. It was like, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing, right? It's, you know, getting these games in is that is a little bit of a set, that sense of normalcy. I mean, we're not, you know, like you said, we're not totally out of the woods, but it's nice to have, you know, it's nice to have something where it's not just, you know, you're not cooped up and you can do a few things that you weren't able to do, especially last winter. Yeah. Brad, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope that we can uh, run into each other again, maybe at a Memorial Cup or something like that. Uh, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. That was Brad Coach Emilio from Sioux Today setting up the OHL season for us, and that completes our preview of all the leagues, except for what we're doing next week, which I'll tell you about in a second. But uh, thanks to all my guests that joined me this week to set up the the cute the OHL the USHL somewhat of the NAHL and a little bit of AJHL talk this week as well uh, so lots of leagues that we covered check those off the list it's cleanup time if you haven't got your bidet hellotushy.com/pipeline is how you get yours and uh, I, I totally recommend it 
it's better for you. It's better for the environment. It's better for your wallet as well as uh, it's basically going to pay for itself in the first year. No problem about that. No question about that. So stop wiping, start washing your butt. All the cool kids are doing it. HelloTushy.com slash pipeline. Next week on the program, we are going to tackle the NCAA and going to have five guest segments. I know there are six conferences plus some independents, so I'm not sure how it's going to break down just yet. Uh, but there's going to be lots of college hockey talk next week on the program. Quick thank you to everybody who has been signing up to be a patron here lately as it's uh, record highs uh, for patrons of the Pipeline Show, which is fantastic. Really, really appreciate that. How you become a patron is going to patreon.com slash the pipeline show and you can sign up there a couple of bucks a month that's all it takes and you get the early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show uh patrons get to hear those days in advance before the full episodes are released so if uh, if that's something that would interest you then i encourage you to check that out and wherever you're getting your copy of the pipeline show from it i hope that you're leaving uh, ratings and uh, rankings and comments and all of those types of things to try to help grow the audience i would really appreciate if you would do that as well hey and if this was your first episode that you've ever listened to why don't you hit me up on twitter at tps underscore gee and let me know uh, what you thought of the show what you like about the show where you're listening from how long you've been listening because i'm always curious about that stuff all right, but that does it for this weekend, and the uh, Oil Kings are in action on Friday night. If you're in the local area, I'll be down at the rink. You'll be able to hear those games on oilkings.ca. Andrew appeared with the play-by-play, and I will be sitting, uh, well, probably about uh, two meters away from him doing a color. And we'll be in Red Deer doing the game on Saturday as well. WHL regular season action kicking off this weekend. Between now and next week, why don't you get out and watch some junior or college hockey if you can so that we can talk about it next week here on the Pipeline Show. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Until next week, everybody, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya. <laughs>